episode 249 of Texing. This is a very festive episode, just before Christmas, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And I am also two Bitcoin richer. How about that? Wow. You went, in, you went all in, huh? But not only that, we have been donated a Bitcoin. We've been donated $10 worth of Bitcoin. Oh, so like 0.001 Bitcoin? Oh, point oil one. Uh, but the, the question you should be asking yourself is how? Yeah. How? We don't have oh, a Bitcoin address out there. Oh, did you create a Bitcoin address for texting? Right. Not show? exactly. No, no. I created a, a blog, a blog post on justinvincent.com about Bitcoin, basically talking about the fear, uncertainty and doubt, FUD. So I like answered, like I don't know, like 20 different FUD points about Bitcoin, which I want to talk to you about later. Yeah. And um, I just said, oh, and by the way, you know, if you have a few spare Satoshis, donate to me. So I got a donation. And um, yeah, so I won't say his, his surname, but I will say his first name, Fernando sent us 0.01564 Bitcoin. And in, in his message, basically saying, for the tech sh- for texting, love the show. Great. I, now, awesome. I don't know whether to be happy or like, you know, kind of insulted. What do you mean? <laughs> well, it was my blog post, right? Well, right. <laughs> but right. you get half of it. Why get $5? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll donate the five right back. To no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 not <laughs> I at won't, all. I won't, I won't claim it. I will definitely send you half so- that Bitcoin. So you've been getting pretty active on the blog posting lately. What, 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 what's getting you all bloggy lately? I don't know. Um, I th- there's things that I just want to say. Like I'm, get, I'm kind of like maybe motivated or, or maybe irritated or whatever. You're intellectually backed up. Like, so I just need to say, say it. I need to get it out there. Um, and it's just, you know, so I think that's the reason why. You're writing it. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reason why people blog. But why now as opposed to over the past year or, to, a year or so, you haven't really blogged that much? I don't know. Nothing's nothing's really got my goat until now. Hmm. That's probably what it is, you know? Like, so just reading through a lot of the Bitcoin articles, mm-hmm. um, there's so many negative articles about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Just so so much down, you know, so many articles down on it. Mm-hmm. So that was why I felt, and given that we had kind of discussed and said we thought it was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to look at some of those those negative points that people were saying and give a counter argument. Right, you know? right. So that, yeah, and that was that, and... That's the reason. All right, we'll, yeah, well, let's get into that in a minute. Let's not yeah, jump sure. into the first. But um, yeah, so uh, I guess, what, two days before Christmas? Yeah. 20, 20, what is it? 23rd today. It's 20, what are you doing for Christmas? Going to going to Georgie's parents' house, of course. Yeah. In Orange County. So you're going what today? What are you doing? Going to Vegas? Yeah, well, we're gonna, we, um, we usually we do our own Christmas um, normally and traditionally, I guess. So we, we'll, we'll stay here, do... We, uh, so... Christmas Day, we used to do a lot of last-minute shopping and then do the decorating. And I guess Sandy, they make Christmas cookies and we do a big Christmas cookie-making thing, which is just an incredible mess. And then we go out and oh, Sandy, Sandy guys to go look at tour all the Christmas lights. And then um, we order pizza. We have pizza on uh, Christmas <laughs> Eve. Yeah, nice. Which is, a, which is a tradition for my family. Her family would always do, like, finger foods. Like, I, I remember we came, what was this? When we first got together and it was like, there was no dinner. It was like really, I don't know, kind of low-end finger foods, like pigs in blankets kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Like that's really what we're doing? And then uh, and then so uh, 
Christmas, we'll we'll do our own Christmas morning, and Sandy will make you know breakfast, and you know you always get up with the kids with the, with the kids. You get up at crack of dawn. Right? Yeah, it's like six thirty or six something. It's right. barely light out, and uh, then do the breakfast, and then uh, let the kids play, and then clean everything up and pack up, and then around you know noon we drive to the, her parents' place in Vegas. Right, which. You know, it says Vegas, but we don't do the Vegas stuff. They live out at the northern edge. It's not like we're on the strip or something like that. No, they have your Sandy's parents have a really nice house in Vegas. Um, in kind of, I guess, like a su- suburb kind of area. Right? Yeah, some of those gated communities. It's very nice. So yeah. it's those those faux Tuscan. Style. I can imagine that must. Do they do it all up? Do they do it a lot? You know, like decorate it quite a lot. And a lot of the um, houses in the in the community. Yeah, done up big time, but they, theirs is moderate, medium, medium. Yeah, okay. Just, you know. And then, um, but so when we're out there, though, we're gonna do a lot of skiing and snowboarding. So they have ski slopes within thirty minutes. So right, oh, nice. at the, right at the very, I'm, I think it's the northern tip. I don't know. I don't geographically. I'm, my, I'm a little off, but it's 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 like where their their exit is to the highway. Yeah, it is like the last exit to nowhere. Like. But everything is right there, right? Every kind of restaurant or store, whatever, your Chipotle's and Coffee Bean and whatever there. But oh. then literally it, it like a falls off to the end of the earth and there is nothing within like, you go like a quarter mile out on the highway and it just goes off into emptiness. It's, it's on its way to Area 51, actually. <laughs> so if you, if you were going to try and brave the uh, brave going to Area 51, you would head off that way and about a half hour up, up uh, down that highway, you, you'd get exit up and you go up in the mountains and they have um, pretty good ski slopes there. And so we'll go and... Um, do some snowboarding and skiing and sledding. Uh, the Area 51 was blacked out on Google. Is that true? Uh, and maybe. I don't yeah. know. I'm sure okay. I'm sure it probably is. If if yeah, I'm I'm guessing it is. There are certain government installations that are blacked out. Hmm. I mean, but people know where it is. I mean, you, you know, yeah. there's you, you always see things on the history channel where like these people investing and saying, We're gonna make a trip to Area 51, and they go and they park there and they see the black SUV and they're like, Oh crap, and they turn around and leave. And <laughs> you know, I've seen like three shows like that over the years, you know. Um <clears throat> But anyway, so yeah, it's gonna be. We're gonna do a lot of the uh, love skiing and stuff, and but the, like the guys snowboard, the girls ski. That's yeah. Well, I would like to do that. We do a lot of eating. There's a lot of cookies made. There's probably about ten different types of cookies made, which and they and they all seem like they're professional, like mm-hmm. as, like as if you'd buy them from a shop, but they're all kind of homemade. And then we have a finger food. That's a finger food portion of the day. Mm-hmm. And then there's a. You know, a turkey portion of the day. Oh yeah, well, we'll right. There's and all that well, stuff. Well, of course, we'll do all that, right? Uh, but we start off on Christmas Eve by going to uh, Redondo Beach to mm-hmm. get some seafood. I think is what it is. Oh really? Seafood? Yeah. Uh, that's New Year's, New Year's Eve is seafood. New, no, uh, Christmas Eve. I mean Christmas Eve. I always say Jeez, that. Is it New Christmas Eve? Eve we go Redondo. I see the tradition in Georgie's family. I'm just just Georgie shouting from the bedroom there. Is that her parents always cook clams just before they go to bed and put out the brought out the presents that's an interesting that's weird it, that's Never an interesting yeah there you go that's that's the thing i don't know i mean is pete maybe pizza's weird to have on christmas well i think pizza is a bit weird well you know i mean when, when you said it i thought that's weird well because you know christmas day is going to be the big is going to be the turkey and everything yeah right so it's not like you're gonna have turkey and usually it's like there's a lot of stuff going on right the kids are all amped up there's a lot of like last minute preparations and stuff so it's like keeping it light I can understand if you said we make pizza and then you get the kids involved in putting all the toppings and stuff. 
No, but you remember our age of our kids, right? That's it's a true. little crazy. Yeah. I mean, if your kids are a little older, but you know, I'm not you'd, have, you'd have smarties on the. What? No, you don't do smarties. You'd have M and M's on the pizza. Well, that's what we do with the cookie making. Yeah, that's right. So, so you've already got that. Yeah, they all make. They get. There's like a half hour, hour of of just insane cookie craziness. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's you're, you're, you know you're pretty much maxed out their willingness to contribute to the to food making at that point. You know, then you go to see the Christmas yeah. lights, and then you come out. Perfect. So anyway, so that's it. So we just went and saw Santa today. Oh, really? That worked what? out really well. He was right in the old, in old town, oh, yeah. turns out. Nice. What, what do you right have to there. say for himself? Oh, no, he was good. He told the kids to listen to his parents and do their homework and go to bed. And Yes. That was good. It re- he, reinforced that stuff. But he didn't the, give him coal. Yeah, so we, we were out there, and then we went to um, Johnny, Johnny's Rockets right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, so, the, in the middle of the square? Yeah, 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 yeah that's lovely, little, yeah. You know, it's funny while I was there though, I, so, you know, you're sitting there waiting and I, I was, um, I was going over Col I was, I was going over, um, the algebra that Colby learned from Dragon Box, mm-hmm. you know, on a napkin. I was see if he could remember how to do like, let's say you have Y plus seven equals X minus three, you know, divided by four, whatever, you know, whatever. And he, it was funny. He still, he still could do it. Good. Okay, so that was pretty neat. So Sandy's just like, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs> <laughs> but I got, I got actually, I got some more. I want to talk about that in a minute. But um, so that's our. So yeah. So what? Uh, what's new? What do you want to talk about? Well, uh, I've got a bug to talk about Bitcoin, but um, we'll we'll leave that for a bit. I want to talk about the youth drug that can reverse aging. Uh, yeah. that was pushed out. Which I think the thing that I thought was interesting about that is that the drug reverses everything kind of physical like muscles and things, but it doesn't kind of reverse the DNA and the mitochondrial damage, etc. So it's <laughs> so let's say for example just this drug went through and then you gave it to old people, um, they would still have all the effects of aging, just not the kind of the from the framework point of view of their body, it would rever- it would reverse aging, but not everything else. So they still they, you know mentally they might still be fuzzy and all that all those other aging effects. Well, uh, yeah, he said that in the, 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 I saw this little phrase. He said this discovering a way of restoring the efficiency of cells. So basically the communication mechanisms, um, within the cell are break down and this makes it more efficient and stuff. I, so, you know, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of information about what it did yeah. other than that it reduced some of the markers associated I said all. I said, let's see what it goes. Says uh, two-year-old mice were given a compound over a week, moving back the key indicators of aging to that of a six-month-old mouse. Researchers said this was the equivalent of making a sixty-year-old sixty-year-old person feel like a twenty-year-old. Yeah. And this is the research focused on an area of cells called mitochondria, which produce energy over time. The communication between the area and the cell, this area and the cell nucleus, degrades, leading to the aging process. Researchers injected a chemical called well, I'm not going to try and pronounce it, or NAD, which reduces in the body as we age. The addition of this compound led to the radical reversal in, in the aging of the mice. So that's pretty much all they said. Well, on the BBC on the BBC story that I read, I, I guess I sent you a different link. or uh, You I, didn't send me a link. Oh, I yeah, just okay. saw this is so the, the Guardian. So in the BBC, they said, they made the point that the researchers said, this isn't a cure-all for aging. This is basically, it cures the body, but not, it it. it as, as I said, it kind of, it makes you younger, but it doesn't necessarily make your mind younger. And I thought it made quite an interesting film plot. Like you could imagine giving this drug to like, like an old, you know, like go to an old person's home. Everyone in the old person's home gets this drug. They all become like 20 year olds, but they all act like 80 year olds. 
Well, it's almost kind of <laughs> like the movie Cocoon. Remember uh, from the right, 80s? Right, right, right. Right, they all still looked old, but then they were physically regenerated, so they could, they were doing, like, flips off the, the yeah. diving board. well, they looked and, old, exactly. And they had a lot of energy and stuff like that, you know. I mean, I think ultimately, ultimately we're going to get there. Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately they're going to be able to stop aging and reverse it. Now, will we be lucky enough that it'll happen before our natural times run out? Or not is the question. I mean, it may be 30 years from now. I mean, or maybe 100 years from now, or maybe 200 years from now. But here's the thing is, like all things, the advances will come in lurches. You know, there'll be a jump forward and then nothing, and certain things will move forward. But in terms of like, it won't be like one day, we don't have anything that reduces aging. And then the next day, like, presto, you can turn a 75-year-old into a 25-year-old in two weeks. It'll be kind of like, well, you can do this, but you can't do the other things. Oh, well, we figured out a way to make this better. Or we figured out a way to make that better. We, we found out a way to, for the DNA telomerase to, you know, stop being reduced or damaged. We found a way to make this. And then over a period of time, it will become, you know, a perfected or nearly perfected process. You know, yesterday I watched a, 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 an Oxford debate between Aubrey de Grey and yeah. someone else from his field. And apparently he's very controversial in his field. You know, mm -hmm. they really don't like what he's saying. Mm -hmm. um, that they, they talk, you know, the way he talks about there's three ways of approaching it. One of them is to kind of like regress aging. Another one is to stop its onset. And another one is to just completely kind of regenerate things. Okay. And that's his, his preferred way of doing it. And so he, he basically has made statements like it seems, you know, it seems nuts to me that no one else considered that in my field. Mm -hmm. They only looked at the other two ones. And so anyway, the debate was quite heated, you know, between him and the other guy. And um, as far as as far as the other guy was concerned, like he thinks there's no way in our lifetime. You know, he's like, not a chance. It, it, it really see you know, that it seemed like that classic mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I don't know. Well, who was this other guy? Was he a scientist? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He, he, he was of the same kind of level. Okay, know. so, okay. First of all, um, scientists are generally going to be very conservative. Yeah, right, right. right. Um, not only is, it, is, is academia culturally conservative in that way, in that, you know, it's, it's frowned on to make big statements that you can't back up with data, yeah. right? And it's actually, it's actually much more accepted to understate what your results were, right? You have these very understated titles to the academic papers that sometimes reveal these really amazing results, right? Yeah. Um, because even if you come up with some very po positive or promising results, they have to be checked and cross-checked and reproduced and, you know, everything like that. And the last thing you would do is come out and say a bunch of you know, grandiose things and people come out and knock you down, knock you on your ass and say, well, this is not true. And, you know, there's a flaw in your experiment or there's, you know, something wrong with your data or, you know, we tried to reproduce this and we were unable to as well as the other labs. Right? Yeah. So you, you got that issue. Um, I think second of all, um, when you talk about things like anti, anti-aging or reverse aging, um, the scientists who work in and near that field are going to be very concerned about inviting the public in to debate about it, right? Because they're thinking, their thinking is, okay, look, you know, that's way in the future, okay? Um, what we're trying to do is, you know, reduce things that are very tangible, like Alzheimer's, well, like exactly, dementia, yeah. like, you know, uh, you know, in any number of old and age th diseases. There was a word for it. It was like, 
compression it was something like compression of aging or something like that so in other words their goal is not really to make a lifespan into a hundred or a thousand year lifespan their goal is to make it make you more comfortable during your last eight you know your last 20 years you're not as sick in your six seventies and 80s but because they 80s. really don't believe that the lifespan can be expected See, i don't yeah well maybe not in their lifetime they may they may believe it's possible at some point but it's to their advantage yeah to 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 demure to those kind of statements because listen look look i mean if if all of a sudden people start freaking out and want to put all kind of regulations because they think this stuff is right around the corner and they're like oh no we can't have this and we can't have people living for 500 years and all and and meanwhile these guys are like these scientists or these labs are trying to work on on drugs that are helping uh you know cure alzheimers and they have these ridiculous in their view these ridiculous claims floating around they have to refute that are that are inviting in regulation and um you know just general uh intervention into what they're trying to do right yeah so and it's also like when you talk about like say machine learning artificial intelligence people you know you're like look i'm just trying to find an algorithm that's going to optimize this data yeah <laughs> right that's going to be able to you know figure out like when are the opt what are the optimal set of parameters within you know to for this other dependent variable to be you know, to optimize this dependent variable. And in the meanwhile, people are like, oh my God, machines thinking, robots taking over the world. Like, you know, this is crazy. And you're like, dude, <laughs> I'm literally just trying to figure out what's the optimal time to place this ad on this site. Right. <laughs> so that's why, that's kind of, that's what it's kind of like to their, to their eyes. But I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, the body is ultimately a finite machine and finite machines are ultimately reverse, reversible and hackable. Now we may not have the tools of understanding to do it in the next, 20 or 30 years it may be 100 or 200 years or even further out but at some point we'll reach well, that near perfect way of of, of, of of hacking it the debate um was was oxford debate a cure for aging just mm -hmm. google that on youtube and the opponent was professor richard farragher yeah. and he had some you know he made some pretty good points but something else i wanted to bring up is that google have i don't know whether you know this it, it wasn't really a, a big announcement it was in september um, that Google have launched a branch of Google devoted to this, you know. So basically Google now have amongst their, you know, I guess mission is to, you know, solve death. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, scientists are naysayers all the time. I mean, you talk about like space exploration or landing on the moon or all these kinds of things. They, they were naysayers about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the top scientists were saying that you could never get out of the atmosphere, you could never get on the moon, you could do all these things. And, you know, so unless it's in violation of the laws of physics, I, I just think those kind of things are, are, are not even... I just, like, <laughs> well, it was one of the big about. points that, that Aubrey made is that, he, as he spoke to him, he said, you're a scientist and I'm an engineer. And basically engineers make stuff happen right. and scientists don't really think about the world in that way. Right, they're, you know, just, they're trying to develop understanding. Right, right, develop understanding. But he said, you know, I'm I'm basically a scientific engineer. I think was what he called it. So I create the products. You know. Yeah, you know. Look, I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of what Aubrey de Grey is trying to do. You know, I don't follow him that closely. Every few years, I you know I end up reading some article or seeing some interview with him, and um, I think it's sort of ironic that he he wants to reverse aging, but he has this like you know, giant beard that goes down to his knees. No, I know. He but looks they, so old. Which is so ironic, right? You'd, <laughs> yeah. you'd expect some guy who's so focused on anti-aging to, to, to be, you know, to look 50, but then kind of be super fit or looking like, trying to look like they're 30. You know, instead yeah. he's probably what, like 
45 or 50 and he looks oh, like Oh, I'd say 70s. he's much younger than that. Really? I, 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 he may, I mean, he may be 40, but I don't think he is. I mean, I don't know. To I be think honest. he's older than us, but, but but he looks but he looks an extra fifteen years old because of the beard. Which sends, is just funny. Uh, you know, to to check out Aubrey de Grey specifically, their the Sens Research Foundation. It's S E N S Research gonna, Foundation. We're gonna put a link on the show. And it's sens.org. I know, but hey, <laughs> go to the show notes. It's all say? there, dude. Don't worry about it. All right, <laughs> that's what I do, right? I guess I make the links. I write the I write the descriptions. So just send it to me. Just make sure you send it to me. That's all right. right. I will send you sense.org. But, but you know what's funny is um, there was some. Uh, I guess there was a it was a hacker and a hacker news uh, discussion on the on the article, and you know there's people talking about well you know there's this philosophical problems with having to li- that living longer than a certain number of years and you know things about like what guys said like the the amount of the accumulation of sin that that you've committed in your life with them would eventually drive you mad or I, I know all these other weird things. Well, I do think that psychosis could drive you mad because you do pick up. I mean, like for example, I never used to be afraid of heights till I was 35 and then all of a sudden it just came out of nowhere. So if I live for another thousand years, I'm going to have to live a thousand years being afraid of heights that I, I wasn't for the first 35 years, you know? And I mean, what happens after a hundred years? What do you get afraid of then after 200 years? I think years? that's a weird example. I, I, I see. I think it's funny, you know. If some people would say, like, you know, like life loses its meaning when you live a really long time or forever, but I would almost say that life has more meaning. Like, if if you say, well, you were going to live for ten years, and then what's, well, then, you know, what's the matter of what you do? It's going to be over so quickly, right? If you're going to live for two weeks, it's like it doesn't matter. It's over so quickly. It's like so. It's like life has more meaning the longer you have. Yeah, but could you imagine how how harder it it'll be to think outside the box after a thousand years? You know, imagine having a thousand years worth of knowledge stored away. It'd be really difficult to make some kind of advances. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, you know, this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit, too. When you look at all these science fiction movies, they usually only talk about two or three things advancing. Everything else is kind of the same. Right. So it's like we go to space and there are robots or there are robots or there are genetic engineering but there's no robots or there's, you know, but, they, there's, but the fact is, is like a thousand things move forward. So not, forget a thousand years, a hundred years. You might be have, who knows how you, your brain can be regenerated, expanded, augmented, whatever, well, right? So it's like, you're thinking about like, well, I'm going to hold all these other variable, variables constant, but now I'm a thousand years old. You know, you know in Almost Human, they, that show, mm-hmm. TV show, they project that for 2043. Okay. It's kind of a ballsy move. 2043 to say that by then we're going to have human looking you know, self-aware androids yeah seems unlikely 2043 right a little ambitious i don't know i mean i mean like we do have like asimo like for example but how, you know could we get as like, like, you, you know the asimo little little honda robot oh, a- 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 as- okay right, yeah. right 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 yeah and there's you know they're, they're getting better but for 20 i mean i, I guess uh, you know the exponential development of technology maybe but i don't know but anyway well yeah. i could see 30 years from now Maybe you have robots like iRobot kind of thing. Remember those robots? They look kind of human, but not really, but could walk around. And they oh, were oh, yeah, yeah. And they're very kind of, they, 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 they have like quite a metal veneer. But I mean. Yeah, maybe you could reach something like that. I, I don't, um, but you know, it's, it's just funny. It's like. We could, it's impossible to predict. Well, right. I mean, it's, yeah, it is impossible to predict exactly when. But, I, you know, I just find it, I just find it really interesting how. It's it's so hard to think about what every how, how everything changes when everything moves forward. Yeah, like you know we were we were 
watching uh, uh, an episode of uh, Futurescape. I may have mentioned this on the last show, and they were reading, talking about these mind reading um, technologies that they're working on. You know, and I've talked about this in the show before about the EEGs. How <laughs> you can like think of you can think of the word chair. And with these EEGs on your head, and it will, and, I, and the word chair will show up on a computer screen. Or you picture a cat in your brain, and it yeah. calls a fuzzy version of the cat. No, I saw that. And using fMRIs, they had EEGs and they had a story about that on um, this uh, weekend update on SNL. You know SNL? Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch that? Saturday so they, Live. So they they basically had, had were pointing out a story that someone has worked out how to read a dog's brain. Right. Right. And, but the punchline was, and we realized there was no use because the only thing it says is. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, anyway, it's like there's that trajectory, right? Like all of a sudden, like, you know, what happens when it's that easy to read people's thoughts or people are sharing thoughts in some weird, you know, like, and I was thinking about that, like most people would probably not want their mind to be readable by other people. Right. Because they were talking about like what happens when you have, they were, they were showing like this little, like almost like a Bluetooth thing you put over your ear and that allows like, if you had one and I had one, like all of a sudden we could share our thoughts. So like telepathically, that kind of thing, I could read your brain and you could read mine, you know, and, and I was just say like, look, I don't want anyone reading what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah. You'd have to have like a, a, a blue filter. But, right. But what you could imagine, just like there are weird, there are sort of these, these, these very small niches of people who or all these weird fetishes and stuff like, how would people ever do that? Well, there will be groups of people who will be totally into it. You can imagine parties where everybody gets together and there's like, like everybody gets in there, I put this thing on, everybody's totally open, you know? And you could just see that. I, you could even see like, you know, an HBO special, the groups of people who do this, you can watch all these people who but do it. How, like, how dangerous would that be for business? Imagine you had a board meeting and everyone put one of these things on. And you know the way that, you know, when you say don't think about a pink elephant, you think about a pink elephant, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, again, I think it's a thing. It's like, it's like, um, just just because there are groups of people who do it and have these sort of mind share parties, right? Wouldn't mean that people are going to do it on a board meeting anymore just because there are people who get and have S&M parties and do S&M in the boardroom, right? It just sounds silly. Yeah. Right? It's just kind of like, um, but anyway, the, the point is, is that like you have all these technology moving forward, but, you know, and you have these, one of these synthetic biology about how we're going to be able to re-engineer um, our, uh, our bodies or re-engineer, um, uh, you know, or combine multiple different types of species to have different effects. But, you know, you have a movie about robots, but they don't they act like that never happens. Like, you know, but it's like when it all happens at the same time, that's why it's like the world in 50 or 100 years can be read and recognizable. But, you know, I mean, any story, it will, like, as you know, a story would be pretty difficult if, like, all of a sudden all this different stuff happened. Like, you need to focus on one specific part of the storyline. Otherwise, it would just be too much information to come in. But actually, uh, going along the lines of new new things, did you see that the French recently uh, put in their first fully uh, – what's the word? Artificial heart. Artificial heart, yeah. I saw the headline. Yeah. yeah. So that's just another – It's it, it is all happening, like you say. Yeah, well, it's – yeah, well, well, well yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the movie Vanilla Sky. Did you ever see that with Tom Cruise? Uh, maybe. It, he, it rings he, a bell. He, he goes to cryonic sleep because he has this really oh, yeah, painful yeah. injury, and then he gets mm-hmm. woken up in the middle. Of, well, anyway, it's like the guy says to him at one point, he's like, um, you know, you can either stay in your cryogenic sleep or you can come out. And he's like, you know, you go back to your sleep, and it's going to be your perfect dream for however long you want it. Um, or your perfect invented reality or whatever or you come out and he's like but i'd warn you the world is a lot different than you remember it 
you know, which is interesting. It's like you come out there and it's not just going to be like, well, everything's the same, except our computers are even faster. And now we actually have hovering cars. It's like everything could be so much different that it would be it would take a, a little while to adapt. And I think humans have an amazing ability to adapt to almost anything. So but it would be weird. Like you see how people get or freak out about things like we talk about like Soylent or Bitcoin, like those things are just weird and strange and they, and they frighten people and they freak people out and actually piss them off. It's like imagine that times 500. There's 500 things like that. They're all different. And they're not just kind of on the periphery, like, oh, there's a few people who are going to eat this soil and thing. And I think that's really weird. And it makes me upset to think about it. It's like, no, like, and a huge percentage of the population are doing all these things. And, and, the, and, and the combination of all those things makes life so much different. So even if you were a futurist who really loved the idea of the future, let's say you were transported 500 years into the future, you would probably be ridiculously homesick because there's so much, so much. Yeah, I think I th- I think it would be very you would have home uh, you know homesickness. I mean, it'd be just like just like when you go even you go to a um you know to a, another country that's similar. To just on country. vacation for two weeks and you I mean, feel you homesick. You go to Europe and you're like Europe is pretty much like the U.S. <laughs> except for some you know the food is a little different and the language depending what country the language would be a little different and maybe the cars are a little different. But I mean, for the most part, it's a lot of Europe is pretty Americanized, right? Or it's all it's all kind of Westernized in the right way in in similar ways. So if if that and if that makes you homesick, can you just imagine, you know, when that much stuff changes? I mean, just imagine it freak you out. Just imagine, just imagine if, like, you know, you went even fifty years in the future, and you're like, okay, um, you know, people still eat real food, but they only eat like real food. They only go out and get steak or sushi or whatever, like on special occasions once a week. The rest of the time, you eat like soylent. <laughs> You'd be like, a lot of people would be like pissed off like i'm out of here man this yeah. sucks like well if that was the downside about, right? yeah if people are like look dude it's easy just eat it you feel good you don't worry about it you think like, nobody's overweight as you can tell and, and you know you but you'd still be like i want i want my uh tacos for lunch or pancakes or breakfast i don't eat this damn soylent right it but you would have a hard time getting over and being like this is cool or if it, you were in a situation where like okay now we actually have robots doing a lot of the mundane things that we used to do and they're all over the place and you're actually interacting with this robots and they're not really human, like almost human. They're kind of human-esque, but they take care of a lot of stuff. Might be like, this is just so weird. I hate it. I still can't see how we wouldn't end up in an artisan future like, um, like uh, Ian M. Banks predicts, which is basically because replicators, you know, once replicators exist... What else is, I mean, you can do anything you want. There's no need for money. There's no need for anything. Once you can replicate anything, once everyone has a replicator that's like a microwave in their house, you can just create well, anything. And where do you get the materials to replicate? Who fixes the replicators? Well, the, the, but the, the material is just dirt. Well, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, see, I don't, I don't really buy, I think that's, it's a long time you get to that kind of, that stage. I mean. A thousand years. Oh, you know, maybe a thousand. But then it gets just so hard to even talk about what that might be like. Right. But even if you're talking like a couple hundred years, I think. Money is ultimately getting is is used for getting things that you don't have from other people, or getting people to do things that you don't want to do that they that they will do for you, right? You know. But then you'll have rob. I mean, they'll. I mean, they'll be out. You know, robots, androids, whatever. Like what? Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, hey, yeah, once you get to the singular, you know, the, quote, the singularity. Yeah, and, you know, think I, it's I guess that's what control. we're talking about. Yeah. But you know, one thing is interesting too is like you see how like when your kids start doing things. You know, and this happens at every generation. The new generation starts doing things a different way. The music they listen to, the clothes they wear, the way they interact. The other gen- older generation finds it really... They'll never have an album in this generation. Well, listen, listen. 
the 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 other generation always finds it infuriating yeah. and frustrating it's like what is this rock and roll you're listening to? Oh, right, right. What are, you know, what are these mohawks or <laughs> long, or, or tie dyes and long hair, or, you know, or the hippie stuff are like, you know, you know, what are these old baggy jeans everyone's wearing? Remember the bag, like 90s, where wear these super baggy jeans that would fall down and past people's butts and the parents would figure it out. Now it's like these super tight, you know, it's like there's always something the other next generation is like, I don't get it. I, I just think that for this generation, it's the fact they'll never have an album. They'll never have, like, like media is is chopped up into such minuscule bits that it's it's harder for there to be big concepts around it. You like, find that to be the biggest deal? No, but remember when well, the al- biggent deal is that people they're not. They're but albums. remember when an album was created? Like, you, I mean, that was the thing. Like, you had you had this great album that was this whole. You See, know, I was never into no, uh, no, because I, I every every type of band that ever like I never liked more than like one or two songs per album. I never was like, oh, I totally... Like, so no, you just I, love Spotify. You're just like, just give me the two songs. I, I don't want to listen th- to the rest. I, for me, I always uh, I always hated it. I always hate... I, I, it was like, which bands do you like? It's like, I don't like any... It's probably no You just more. like a song. I mean, like, there were hardly any musicians that had more than five or six songs that I thought were good. And that was even the best. Like, Sting was like, had the highest percentage. And there were like, maybe eight or ten songs that I really liked. The rest were like, so-so. So you do you like now that's what I call music kind of thing? Like this guess, music yeah, compilation. I, yeah, mixes. there's 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 very few there's very few bands or who make more than a few songs that I like. Maybe maybe there's two, one or there's two or three that I really like. Six or seven that are decent, you know, and a couple are listenable. But it's not like, you know, I know I had friends like who were really into music and they had the new album and this album and this band. They're really into it. I was like, ah. I uh, guess there's also a boatload of like interpersonal interactions that do not happen anymore because of social because of everyone being on their phone all the time, even when they're in public. Even you, like look at a, you look at a group of teenagers, they're all looking at their phone. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, yeah, I mean, there's sometimes there's a little, they're a little, dis, you know, they periodically one or the other is distracted because they're looking at the phone. But I think that's overstating it quite a bit. Mm, okay. I mean, I think, I think that's the old person's view of it. Well, what do you think? What do you think the biggest changes of this current generation are? You know, if Col- Colby compared to you, for example, and kids moving up to the kind of ages of 12. Mm, well, the biggest difference is Colby um now at the age of nine uh is very much the things that he wants are digital he wants computer programs more than he wants physical objects and i, I mentioned that on the press show mm-hmm. like what do we get him for christmas now we are we're getting him a snowboard that's yeah something which he which he wants and a scooter so it's not entirely like that but it took him a while to figure out and it took you know what he wanted like everything was because he spends most of his time his free time when he's not like I said, doing schoolwork or reading or sports or school or whatever. I mean, he'll, he would, all things being equal, he would rather be on the computer or on StarMade designing spaceships and space stations or on Kerbal designing rockets. That's what he wants to do. That's it, what he does. It's funny that it's so fascinating to, our, I mean, but that's what you and I do, right? In a way, right. So I, I mean, can't really fault him. It's I just mean, so fascinating to our brains to, cert, to a certain, you know, obviously not all humans, mm-hmm. but just when you have that bug, it's like so fascinating that it's as fascinating as real life. Oh, yeah. Which is weird. Well, and in the end, ultimately, everything, real life or virtual, is in your brain. It's, it's in your, your brain's brain. interpretation of these signals and interprets in the brain. So they're just constructs in your brain. So those can come in any, any way. They can come from your imagination. They come from a book. <laughs> they come from, you know, your physical inter- your actual the physical world and from the computer. And it's just, yeah. I mean, so we're if we were at uh, Johnny Rockets today having lunch, and Colby is like 
you know, keeps talking to me like, well, what kind of state, dad, I want you, you know, what kind of spaceship do you want to design with me on StarMade? Do you want to design this kind? Or do you want to design that kind? Or how many blocks should it be? He just couldn't stop talking about it. It's kind of like you when you get the madness, mm-hmm. you can't stop talking about it. And you probably start talk, talking at your in-laws about it because, <laughs> right? You know, I, I know you're, you're like, you well, I've got the madness about Bitcoin. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. That's why I had to write the blog post. <laughs> so, so, right. So he, he couldn't, um, <clears throat> you know, we're just sitting there waiting for our food to be, to, 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 to be delivered. And, you know, Sane and I were chatting a little bit. Colby's like, okay, so like, do you want to design this or that? And I said, well, I don't know. Why don't we design the spaceship from Oblivion? He's like, okay, well, how many blocks? Should-? You know, he just couldn't. He had to keep obsessing Bring it back it. to that. Like, you know, or come on, oh, we could do this or we could do that or how about this or whatever. And, uh, you know. But the way you talk about like digital being what Colby wants, it reminds me of my friend Mike, uh, who recently told me about his kid, who's, I would say, even younger than Colby, mm-hmm. um, maybe just a year. And he'd said, okay, what do you want to do? You know, let's watch a movie. We'll, we'll go down to Redbox and get one. And it's just down the road, like Redbox. You click a few buttons. And the kid was like, no, that's so boring. Why can't we just stream it? It seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of work. To commitment. Go, yeah. But, but I mean, wow. Just this generation. Yeah. Well, well you know, I, I think it's, I think it's like how much, it's not how much work anything takes. It's how much work the same task take doing in a different way. Yeah, it when you see. ridiculous. When, right? Yeah, when you see how easy it is to do, you just go to, you know, Amazon and click a button and you're streaming. Yeah, I mean, there are other things that you do that, are, <laughs> that require a lot of time and exertion, but it's like, well, I can click a button, but you want to get in the car, drive down, go buy something, take like 45 minutes. Like, it well, it's seems- even less than four. I mean, to go to Redbox, it's like one street, take a left, you go into a Vons, you, like Redbox is a, disp- a dispense. Yeah, but by the sure. time you get your keys and get your shoes on and walk at the door in and out, you're probably a half hour. Right? And the kid kind of intuitively knows. I mean, he's it's just like, this is... Seems redundant. This is redundant, Dad. <laughs> Not redundant. It's just, it's just like, an extremely slow way to do something that just seems stupid to him. Yeah. Just like... Well, it's like this. It's like, you know, how we're so used to remotes. Like, if you had to get up and change the channel, like actually turn a dial, <laughs> you would probably watch the same damn show all day long. Channel all day. You would be like, ah, I can't turn the channel. Like, you literally can't walk three steps... And switch it. You'd probably be like, no, I can't That's do funny. It. I can't even go to the set-top box. I hadn't box even thought it. about that. Oh, I noticed it when we had, um, so we first got Netflix, and I was watching Battlestar Galactica. I think I told you this about a year, year and a half ago, and you're like, well, are you still watching it? And I said, you know, I kind of stalled out mid, in mid-season two. And the reason was is because I had to use a whole two separate remotes to get there, to get to the show. So I had to, we have a normal, like, dish remote mm. so i had to use the tv remote which is separate to and you know it's in dark you're trying to like see the right button because the sadie's asleep by that time so i have all the lights off <laughs> and so i'm like what the hell tv does it turn it to the hdmi and i end up clicking the wrong one or clicking in or you know so i have to sometimes get uh. walk the tv and turn it and then i gotta go back and turn on the net the roku box so that takes 30 seconds to boot up and then you gotta load through to go to netflix and you're like screw it i don't it's just you know, and I just, I'll just see what's on the TVR. <laughs> I that's mean, that's funny. lazy, right? Yeah. But I, I literally, it was enough of an impediment to make me just say, screw it. Well, I mean, it's the same with interface design, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you put a button just next to the other button because you don't want to make, you put all of your control buttons in one area on a good interface because you don't want to make the user have to move their mouse the entire way across the screen. Which is like literally shifting their hand like an inch exactly like you roll yeah. the mouse an inch corresponds to but it frustrates the hell out of them it frustrates the hell out of a user yeah it really has to do with expectations and what are your expectations for accomplishing attack versus this is a good yeah. reason why bitcoin will take off i hate to bring it back to bitcoin but it's so freaking easy 
to move money around with Bitcoin compared to any other mechanism. So I think I think I may have to use my new nickname for you as well. So I was up, uh, and we'll go into Bitcoin. So this is my little, little segue. So it was a buddy of mine. His name's Tariq, and uh, I have, we've become friends. He's actually he was a listener of the show, kind of introduced us because, um, oh, whatever. I mean, he's an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and he, he was actually when we were looking to some, get somebody involved with Anyfoot before, before Dave came on, mm-hmm. and he said, maybe you should talk to my buddy Tariq, and, you know, smart guy, entrepreneur, whatever. And so, w- we've since become buddies, and we grab, uh, you know, dinner when I go up to San Francisco, and uh, so he's all in on Bitcoin. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he's all in. Like, you know, he, I mean, way more than you. Like, he just gave a talk last week to the uh, – University of Chicago School of Business, the Boot School of Business, they had some group up in, I guess, up in San Francisco, and he was invited to give a whole talk, and then we'll, like, lay the, lay the land. Like, what's really going on? And really sophisticated stuff. And so I met him up for, for dinner. We went to, it was actually nice, up at the top of the Marriott, overlooked the whole city. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd never been up there, and it was pretty, pretty amazing. So we're sitting up there talking, and he's, like, all Bitcoin. Like, he's got the madness. Yeah. You know, he's telling me about all these things, all these different coins, doggy coin, like all this crazy stuff. Oh, so stuff. he's into cryptocurrency and like, everything, Litecoin, Bitcoin, anything, doesn't matter. Yeah, and like, in like uh, you know, these structured products between two people, but they're ultimately like, you know, like a, like a cryptocurrency and just, you know, really going off. And, and uh, I was like, you know, we're gonna have to change your name. It's like, you know, people like, they're like you know, like, in, I guess in some of the German names are like something von something, you know, I'm like, you're gonna be Tariq Bit Lewis. <laughs> it's like Bit is the new Vaughn. So you're yeah. Justin Bit Vincent, I guess now, okay. right? With your Justin new, uh, your Bit Madness. Let's hear Okay, I want to hear all the Bit Madness. Um, well, let's just, let's just focus on the fact that it's easy. Let's just talk about that. Because you're flipping a bit. No, I'm, I just mean that, like, to, to create a Bitcoin wallet, how hard is that? Did you did you do it? Yeah. What did you do? Just uh, talk me through the process. Blockchain info or whatever, and yeah. I, I don't remember. I clicked on a couple of buttons and verified an email address, I guess, or something, and then I had a Bitcoin. I was kind of thinking, like, I think I did while I was multitasking three other things. Like, you just click one button to enter in an email address or whatever, yeah, and you and you have, a, you, have a, you have a place to send money. Right. Right? It sounds about right. And to send money, it's basically one, one step more, which is that you just kind of copy in your, your private key. Yep. You know, that's, that's amazing. I mean, compare that to a bank. Like, how hard is it to set up a bank account? How hard is it to set up a PayPal account? I don't know. How hard is it to set up a PayPal account? I mean, it's, it, it's not instant. It's like you've got, to, you've got to go through various different verification process. I mean, it's not something where you just go to some random, I mean, just some random place on the internet click button once with an email address and now you've got a Bitcoin address for the rest of your life. Okay. Like that's how, how, how easy it is. It's, right. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and just, and just transferring cash is as easy as that. Yeah. No. So uh, uh, to your point, um, so Guyon wanted to buy some Bitcoin. Yeah. Do you, I, I have, is it plural Bitcoins? Buy some Bitcoins or buying some Bitcoin? I guess it probably both of them work, but I, most people say Bitcoin. So he wanted to buy some Bitcoin. So, but the problem is from Norway, it you know it will require a number of weeks to process it, and he wanted to do it sooner. Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, "I tell you what, just send well, me the money yeah. via PayPal, mm. and then I will buy it." And I thought I could just buy it from PayPal, but I ended up having to you know come to PayPal, and that took a week. And then I had to transfer it to my bank account, which is three to five business days from right. PayPal to bank account. And then I had to set up a bank account, uh, an account on Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Right, so I move from the bank account to Coinbase. That took 
like another because you had to verify your bank account, which means they have to they send in two small um, deposits and then you have to figure what the deposit amounts are and you have to enter them back in. So so getting money so that I could actually buy the Bitcoin for him, you know, took a couple weeks. But even if I Very took it out, true. even if we took it out and we say it was in my PayPal account, it took two weeks. And even if it was already just in my bank account, and even to just get it from bank account through Coinbase was still like, I don't know, three or four days. Okay, so you're talking about including the U.S. currency in this in this equation. Sure. I'm talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. No, so I'm once not, it's so, in Bitcoin, it's like instant. Yeah, no. So I'm not saying it takes long to to transact Bitcoin. I'm just saying the rest of the financial system yeah. is yeah. slow as hell and requires lots of verification. You know. So what I'm thinking, what I am thinking, Bitcoin is. It's like when we first had the internet. And we had like mm-hmm. Gopher and FTP. And then it was kind of interesting. And there was like, you know, I, I saw the internet at that time and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But then HTTP happened. And that just basically opened up all of the possibilities. You know, the first browser, remember Mosaic, the first browser, right? Yeah. It was like, wow. So I kind of think Bitcoin is like the HTTP of money, you know? It's just it just makes it so easy to build stuff. I mean, think about all the different things you could build. If you think of it as a as like a transport layer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like Bitcoin is kind of like um, it's for a trans. It's like it's a transfer protocol, a transfer and storage protocol, kind of like how Git is a, a differencing protocol. Right. I think that could be a nice way of saying it. But yeah. if you think about Think about it as a platform and a protocol rather than a currency, and then think about the potential of where it could go. Like, for example, you could have a product like NeoCities, except for Bitcoin. So you could, you know, you could just create this website where people can come along and create accounts, and then, you know, you could give them a free Satoshi for that account. You could create little uh, Bitcoin wallets, you know, based off Ubuntu, you know, have like just tiny little Raspberry Pi machines that mm-hmm. you kind of bump together you know, and they'll pass Bitcoin around. And there's, there's a million different possibilities just that you, can, you could make the exchange of value so much easier. Like, for mm-hmm. example, um, you could build Bitcoin into web browsers, right? So as people were browsing through sites, you could kind of have a situation where it would be really easy to, to just hand over a Satoshi because you thought the page was really interesting or whatever. Right, well, yeah, I mentioned that last year. I think the, 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 way, the ability to facilitate efficient micropayments. Right, which has never been a possibility it's before. It has never really worked very well, yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, I think I'm more of a, uh, a continuous, almost like a continuous rather than a discrete payment size. It's like for everything has to be at least, you know, what, a dollar or two dollars to make it even worth transacting. Yeah, exactly. Like a dollar for a song. Yeah. I mean, people don't sell things for 20 cents or 10 cents, but there could be things that like, you know, I mean, I guess they meter bandwidth and, and stuff on some of these, on these hosting things, you know, you know, buy hundreds of a penny or something like that. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, like Bitcoin takes it so low. I mean, it goes down to Satoshi, which is a hundred millionth yeah, of a Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so I wrote that that blog post, uh, Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. Okay. FUD. And I had, a, like, I'm just going to read out a couple of these okay. to you. And I'm, I'm just interested to hear what you think. No, I'm interested to hear your response to basically how you would say, well, that's not true because of such and such. Okay. You know? So you obviously haven't done any research. No. I went away and researched it. So I'm just going to see whether yours match up with mine. Oh, okay. Shoot. All right. Educated economists think Bitcoin is a load of rubbish and going nowhere. Educated economists? Yeah. 
Who says that? Um, uh, I'm well. There are educated economists just basically there writing articles. It was like three three out of five doctors agree. So like, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I mean, three out of five economists, two out of five economists. There are there are educated economists that think just about anything you want to say in economics. I mean, there is no economist perspective on almost anything. I mean, there are, you know, whether you're talking about monetary policy or microeconomics or efficient market hypothesis or any of those things, there are plenty of very smart economists that will disagree about because economics isn't something that is built on the kind of solid uh, foundation of something like physics that you can just outright prove. Right. Economics, you have theories that take in lot that may are based on lots of very simplified assumptions about, you know, rational behavior and rational expectations and group theory and all these sorts of things. So, you know, I mean it's it's uh I think what they call it economics is the dismal science or something. That's interesting. So okay, well my answer to that was history is littered with examples of, of disruptive thinking that experts, experts in quote, were just unable to fathom. And uh, there's just a lot of incorrect predictions. So just because they're an expert and they say something doesn't mean it's true. For example, 2007, Matthew Lynn, a financial journalist, declared the iPhone is nothing more than a, a luxury bauble that will appeal to a few gadget freaks. That's exactly right. I mean, you're <laughs> going to find any number of experts uh, in anything spouting off and, and, and ultimately proven wrong. But the problem is, is we don't is, – is, and I always – and I mentioned this uh, a couple years ago on the show. I wish there was a way that we could track – we had anyone who made any kind of prediction in public. Yeah. And any magazine or website. That would be so crack cool. it. And so you could go, see this guy? He, you know, because, you know, he predicted this in 2007 and this in 2009 and 10 and 11. He predicted all these things and he's just wrong. But the so. other point I wanted to make is, like, what does an economics expert, like, they, they can't predict this in any way whatsoever because it comes from a completely different tangent. It comes from software and cryptography, which is not really economics. Well, no, okay. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, ultimately you're talking about the ex- exchange of value. And I mean, it, it, it is very tied to, um, a, you know, cur- a concept of currency, monetary yeah. value, monetary With system. a wild card. Yeah, I mean, but it's, I mean, it is different. It's, it's tied with a complete wild card that's never happened before in society. That's true. I mean, but... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. okay. But there, there are a lot of similarities to fiat currencies. Um, right. you know, there are a lot of, you know, it's like, well, a dollar is worth whatever it's worth because everyone, everyone ha- is essentially agrees. The consensus in the market is that it's worth X, right? Right. Um, and the same for any currency. Um, and, uh, the, and Bitcoin is the same thing. If, if, so here's, here's, uh, Tariq gave me this great example when we were at dinner. He's like, you know, cause we're talking about these, um, sort of like how anyone, everyone could have their personal coin, you know? Right. Oh, yeah, you can make your own Bitcoin. You can make your own Bitcoin. Yeah, you make your, yeah, your own crypto coin. Right? Yeah, crypto so there'd be coin, Justin yeah. coin, yeah. right? So, you know, y- you could say, well, l- l- let's say that um, you said, listen, Jason, I need um, I-, I need some of this mobile titanium stuff done. I don't have time to do it. Would you do it? And I was like, all right. I'd be like, all right, fine. And, and, you know, you, I'll pay you, you know, five Justin coins. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, it's equivalent of a favor, right? It's kind of like, well, okay, so five Justin coin essentially works out to $350, right? So I'm like, all right, I'll take your Justin coin, which I, but I can really like cash them in with you. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's nice. I mean, it's worth something because I trust you. 
I know that I can come to you and say, you know what, I'm going to turn these 350 just in coin because you know what, um, I need this, um, I need some uh, SQL queries written, or I need, uh, I want you to mock up this. I got a mobile app I want mocked up. I don't have time to mock. Up. I'm going to say to Spec, she's mock it up for me. And you're like, you know, we'll, we'll transact in in, in Justin Coin, you know, <laughs> or you can have Jason Coin if you want, right? You know, and we know Jason yeah. Coin has a has a, a roughly one to one. Uh, uh, exchange rate with Justin <laughs> <laughs> and someone else comes to me and they're like hey Jason like um, could you do X, Y, V and I say you know what I'll pay you in Justin coin <laughs> and they'll like, be like what who's the? Justin I'm like well Justin I'm like well what does Justin do I'm like well what can Justin do for me well, Justin can mock up websites Justin can give you some startup advice Justin can help you do X, Y, and Z yeah, and they're like alright Actually, I do need some stuff mocked up, and as it turns out, I he actually I do need some consulting on some on some uh, you know whatever, and I'd be like, right, well, then you can I, you can always turn them for Justin. So then it, the network expands; it's like a trust network. Well, that's an amazing. I mean, you add that to any foo, and that's a very interesting concept. You know, like as a business, like a kind of barter. Yeah. Business. Well, because it, yeah, because it starts out as barter, right? So it's like at first, it's you're only you're limited to like something that other people want. But as the network gets better, it gets bigger, then there's more and more outlets for it. And that was the thing with Bitcoin when it first started out because it's like people have Bitcoin, but nothing, you couldn't spend it on anything. Yeah, yeah. Right? But then people are like, oh, we'll take Bitcoin for this because they started, there was enough in the network that they trusted that they, that they you know, one, one and, uh, I don't know, right. outlet, sort of an outlet would, uh, would dip their toe in the water. And then, but now as more and more outlets for Bitcoin, but, but it doesn't even matter now because, because you can go straight to US dollar yeah. or Euro, it doesn't even matter, right? It's immediately transacted. <coughs> All right, let me get to the next uh, FUD, FUD okay. statement right. and see what your answer is. Bitcoin is a, short, is a short-term scam to make a fast buck. I, I think that's silly. What's their, what's, their, what's, their, what's the proof? What's their evidence? What's their argument? How does it, how does it make a... I'm just telling you the FUD statement. I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't have all that information. I'm just telling you that's like something that I've, uh, even as I've spoken to people, they've said, oh, isn't Bitcoin just a... Just a short-term scam to make a false buck, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, I think it's stupid. I, think think it's stupid. I mean, it's like, you can just say something stupid and like, you know, like, oh, like, the internet is just is just a way to spam people. Like, okay, I guess there are people spamming you on the internet, but that's not the sum total of what the internet is. Anybody who says that is being ridiculous. Well, my response was um, one of the biggest arguments that detractors have against Bitcoin is that um, it can't become a stable currency because everyone hoards it. Right. And if everyone's hoarding it, then it can't be a scam. Like it can't be this short term scam. Otherwise, why would people hoard it? Well, I don't see people hoarding it. People who are trading it nonstop. You look at these exchanges, they're just huge volume trading. Constantly. Well, no, no, there's a lot of volume. But uh, let me just show you this article right here because I'm being a real nerd about this right now. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Uh, basically, what is it? Something like 70% of Bitcoins are hoarded. <laughs> anyway. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can go down because, you know, um, you know, you can go down to a uh, hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. I mean, there's still right. Be, you know, because exactly. if, if they're hoarded, it doesn't matter. Exactly, there's, there's plenty of demand. In which case, we're value, and we can ju- we just kind. It's kind. Of, it almost reminds me of like it, it almost. I mean, obviously, it's it's very finite version of this. But you know, like the real numbers. You look between, you know, between there's an infinite number of numbers, right? Yeah. And then if we go between one zero and one, there's an infinite number of numbers between zero and one. And then if we go, okay, we take zero and 0.001, there's an infinite number of values between zero and 0.1. And, and exactly. And, and the, the, the Bitcoin Foundation have said that should the need arise, they will add extra decimal places, right? So, which is really good because you've just answered another, another FUD point, which is 
Bitcoin is inherently deflationary. Thus, there's less cash for everyone to spend. This is bad. So in other words, deflationary means it holds its value. It grows up in value. It goes, up, goes in value. But the point that they're missing is exactly the point that you just made, which is doesn't matter. We'll just use smaller sec- you know, smaller uh yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the one I read one uh, earlier when they were, the guy was talking with some economist on Business Insider, uh, an article on Business Insider, it might have been the one you sent me, and he's like, oh, what would he say? He goes, um, you know, the 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 Federal Reserve has done a great job managing inflation, but the reality is the Federal Reserve yeah. creates inflation. They don't right. manage it; they create it. And in, 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 in the, 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 the mistake that people make oftentimes is they think because something goes up in price, that's inflation. Inflation, just because gasoline rises in price or just because a few different things go up in price, it doesn't mean that the, there's inflation in the currency. It just means there's more demand for that product, right? The right. supply-demand is, is, is equation for that particular commodity or product has changed. Um, but the overall inflation, the amount of money in the system, money can only be added through the Federal Reserve system. And when that happens, you have inflate and inflation. And now, if <laughs> if money is inflated, that's essentially a stealth tax. It's essentially taking money away from all. So if I have, you know, a thousand dollars in the bank, and there is ten uh, percent inflation, or you know, so that's a hundred dollars. I mean, that's uh, you have ten percent inflation. That's a hundred dollars that I lose in value. Hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm just. That's thinking, a lot of times when people. That's why a lot of times when people say, "Well, I get." You know, I'm getting 1.7% on the savings bond. I'm like, well, you know, if the inflation rate's 2%, then you're losing 0.03% of your money every year. You're not making money. You're actually losing money. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but so the the the, the Federal Reserve System in, in introduced inflation. Now, they have a target inflation number, and it's like around 2% or whatever. And their theory is something about, goes something along the lines of, well, if if we don't want deflation, because if there's deflation, then companies are going to want to pay their their workers less money, right? There, because it's like all of a sudden, um, I paid you a hundred thousand dollars a year, and there's major deflation. Like, well, I'm only going to pay you ninety thousand dollars a year because your ninety thousand goes just as farther as far, right? So everything's deflated. Well, all of a sudden, you come into serious problems with contracts and stuff like that because they're like, well, wait a minute, like I'm not I'm not taking a cut. You know, well, why don't just keep it the same? Why? Why do inflation at all? Okay, so um, if if you have an economy that's growing, that there are there are in, in people coming into the more and more people are being born into the world and are doing more things, they're creating more value into the, there's more value in the system, and that also being created by more efficient um, uh, businesses, better technologies, things like that. So. Um, and then that creates more value in the system. So if the monetary base stays the same, then it's, inf- it's in- inherently deflationary because um, now there's th- that that number of dollars has to represent more value, right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's the same dollar can buy more. So if they add, if they inflate the if they add currency at a certain level, then what they can do is they can say, well, your dollar is relatively stable and it takes this influx of value to the system. Now, let me just give you one simple example. Let's say we have, you know, you, have a, you, you land on this deserted island. Use a deserted island example from like Oh, this is the ago. shells. Yeah, well, okay, let's do it simple. So, okay, you land on an island and there's, uh, there's three of us, okay? Or maybe 10 of us. Let's say there's 10 of us. And we're like, okay, so we kind of sort out like who can do what? You know, this guy can kind of fish and he can kind of hunt and this guy can kind of grow 
he's, he figured out how to take some of the natural vegetables and grow some stuff. And these two guys can actually can, are pretty good at construction. So they can build some huts. And, 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 and with the 10 of us, we figure out how to, how to eke out a very basic rudimentary existence, mm-hmm. right? Well, then let's say another unfortunate ship crashes and there's another 10 people. Well, now all of a sudden you got, it turns out um, there was a doctor on there who knows how to do, and actually knows something about medicines. And there's someone who's an expert in, in herbs and they know how to use, you know, cultivate some herbs and create different uh, medicines out of that. And maybe you have someone who's actually can actually capture some of the birds and use that. I mean, whatever, right? All of a sudden now there's more value in the system. Right? We have a better life overall because more people can do more things. And rather than just like, well, I can eat fish or I can get this wild boar that we get. That's it. And some berries. But now all of a sudden we got more foods. We got more things that we can have. So we, it has more value in the mm-hmm. system. right? So the money system has to expand. Otherwise, the money that represented that what we, the 10 people create is, um, is now when you have 20 people, it's, it's actually that $1 can buy more. But basically, it, it does still work from a digital perspective of like adding a decimal place to the money if you can spend smaller amounts of money. Mm-hmm. It's just that in the real world, it's really hard to, to, to get a cent and like split it into two. Kind that's of. right. And, 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 and <coughs> yeah, definitely, that's, that's definitely part of it. I mean, another thing is, um, you know, and this is something that frustrates people at the time is like how do they, if, if there is perpetual inflation, how can they create a store of value? Now, there's a lot of people who, who try and do gold and silver as a way of storing value, but that's also not, not only is, is, val, is, is, is gold, or, gold or silver going up in price, partially because the dollar's maybe worth less, right? It's almost like you're in an ocean, it's like you're on an ocean on a boat and you're looking at this island, it looks like the island's going up and down, but it's really the boat's going up and down, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's part of it. So it's like, hey, the, the island just rose really high. It's like, no, the dollar just became worth less. But there are also supply, demand, and market forces that affect the gold, right? So people trade it. Just like Bitcoin goes up and down, there's a lot of people want it, and there's a crash, and there's that all thing. So it's not just the gold's relationship to the dollar. There's also just the general market dynamics of fear and greed that play into the price of any commodity. Okay, so the next FUD statement, Bitcoin can't become a currency because the transaction volume is too low. Can't become a currency because its transaction volume is too low. I, you know, just, just like you said, I mean, um, because you can cut up in sli- smaller and smaller pieces, I don't, I don't see how that holds. Well, I, but I think there's something else about the fact that they're kind of saying it won't, won't stabilize with such a low volume. Like, it, it's never going to, it's never going to have enough volume that it's a stable currency where you can kind of, how does va- he know, how does he know vaguely predict is, what volume is going to be? And well, well, exactly. I mean, so, so that, well, can I, I'll tell you what I said yeah. about this, right? Basically, I said that I think people make this argument because they're, they're comparing Bitcoin in its current state to a modern currency. However, I would argue the Bitcoin hasn't evolved beyond the point where gold became a value store. Like just in the very first place, even before, even before gold, there was a gold standard monetary system. Because if you think about it, gold in the first place wasn't exactly um, this kind of highly, you know, highly traded, super fast thing that gets passed between people. It wasn't until the, is it called the gold standard? It wasn't until that came along and then we had paper money and it was easy to pass things around. And we're so early with Bitcoin that, you know, all we've got is like a Bitcoin ATM and Coinbase. We don't have any digital wallets that we can pass around. It's not part of the fabric of the internet. But if it, if it became that, because it, it's the, you know, as I'm saying, the HTTP of money, if it became the fabric of the internet, then I think that it would have a lot of stability. So that would be my argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's all kind of, um, I think, yeah, I think what he's saying is premature. 
You think no, I'm, I think he's premature what he's saying. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of time. And I think there's a lot of volume and people saying it never will be because it's not now. I mean, it just sounds silly. It's like looking at a two year old, like this kid is never going to read because look at that. It's like, it's two. Like, what are you talking about? You yeah. Know? Right. And I it's, mean, like, give it some time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, look, I'm looking at it for two years. It still isn't reading. It's like, it doesn't even know it's letters. It's like saying when the internet was formed, oh, this is never going to be any use. Like, no one's ever going to be able to put, like, printing is so much better than, than anything that could ever happen through the internet. What I would love is to see this guy short Bitcoin. I'd at least put his money where his mouth is. Go but, you, but you can't, really, you can't short big, it, though, can you? I think there, might, I think there are some exchanges that you do some, some I think there is some stuff we can put derivatives. But yeah, I mean, you could put a bet going along. The, there's those sites where you can do, like, bets, like personal bets. If he's such a big shot, he's so sure about put a hundred thousand dollars short on a current price. Right, short. Okay. Let's see. Let's see what you do. If it's going to go to ten dollars by mid two thousand fourteen, I said, let's see where you are. Well, that's literally. What, did you did you read that same article? Yeah, you said, be, well, you sent yeah. me that article. So I, yeah, I, ten I, bucks I, by the mid two thousand fourteen. Yeah, right. So I, that just seems very unlikely. I mean, to me. it, it, you know, who knows where it's going to be, but it's not going to be ten dollars. Okay, here's another one for you. I'm really interested to hear what you say okay. to this. Bitcoin will devalue or collapse due to criminals using botnets to mine for coins with free electricity. What? Free electricity? Where's it getting the free electricity? From botnets. So basically, they're, they're using botnets to mine for free electricity. Some guy wrote a, a big thesis paper about this uh-huh. and basically saying Bitcoin is going to completely collapse because um, criminals will take over botnets and use millions of people's homes, home computers okay. right, to right, mine right, for right, Bitcoin. All right, all right. So, okay. So first of all... <laughs> <laughs> how much? How much? What percentage of bitcoins are in mind? Half. Half. Fifty percent. So yeah. the worst it can do is is cut in half. The worst. Yeah. The worst. It was a thousand. I mean, Bitcoin is is is, is at this current stage has gone from a thousand to five hundred, back up to seven hundred, and has it blown apart the system? Right. So even if some evil ge- bot network, m- evil genius, was able to mine every remaining bitcoin in a week. The worst it would do is go from whatever it is right now, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars, and go down to three fifty, four hundred. I mean, that's the worst, and that's not going to happen. I, so like, even if you get even yeah. a botnet where you say, "Well, they mined oh, in six months, they grabbed five percent of the whole thing," like okay. I mean, I agree. Like that's exactly what I said. Basically, it's it's the percentage is too small. I mean, they 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 won't ha- they won't get enough. You know, like like if you're talking about once again, you know, projecting five years into the future, like. There's just going to be too much happening with it for them to really be anything other so, than just a. So I'm going to make a personal virtual bet with this guy. <laughs> well, it's this is this, open this bet. guy. It's going to be an open bet between me and him on the podcast. Oh, between, so between the ten dollar guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're okay. going to. I mean, obviously, I don't have the real money to bet to to put that. We'll we'll do a a, a virtual bet. Let's see where he is. So he says this is at ten dollars by mid two fourteen. By two fourteen, I'll take that bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see where we are. We got to put it like I think of the calendar and see right. where we are. So oh, yeah, on no agenda, they call it the red book. You know, they put stuff in the red book. So I'm gonna put the red book. I I think it'll be I think it'll be similar to where it is now. I think it'll be about a thousand. Yeah, I think so. I think about a thousand. I I mean my my goal is to get is to get up to 10 Bitcoin within 2015, okay. you know? So if it, listen, if it goes down to 10 bucks, I would be so happy. I mean, I would just buy thousands of those things. Yeah, no kidding. You know? Oh. Well, see, I mean, see, that's the thing is so many people would buy it for the same, same reason that they think, the same reason that people buy domain names because they think it's like a holding on to something that they, they can right. go to 50,000. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, someone's going to come and buy this, this, this domain name from me. For a hundred thousand dollars, what was like? A Rob came on. He said that mm-hmm. he was trying to buy Drip.com, and the guy was turning down six-figure offers. 
Oh, yeah. Rob was like, that's a mistake. <laughs> you know, but the guy's thinking that, you know, he's yeah. like, well, I, I, I can, I can, for $10 a year, whatever, I can hold on to it. And I think if it got down too much lower, people would be like, you know what? You know, I'll buy it for $200 or I'll buy it for $300. But, you know, maybe, maybe it'll crash, but there's still a part of me that thinks, you know, this thing could be worth 5000 These things go five or 10000 next 10 years. So, and, and that creates the bottom. So that creates what they call, um, they, what was it? Uh, they sell for gold. They talk about gold. They call it the, 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 I think they call it the Beijing put or something like that. So, like, you knew you, that gold was going to go down too much farther because, because China was buying up gold, uh, oh, slowly over time. Mm-hmm. So there was a sort of a there was sort of a an inbuilt floor to it, mm-hmm. and there and uh, and so there's I think there's an I think there's going to be an innate floor in Bitcoin because there's a lot of people who just fundamentally believe that even though they don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin over the next year or two or three, they think within the next five years there's always a chance they could go go crazy. It makes sense if you think about it from an HTTP for money point of view. It just makes sense that if this thing could become a standard mm-hmm. for transporting value around mm-hmm. it as long as it's bitcoin and it doesn't move to some other thing mm-hmm. but I, I think the the bitcoin protocol is good enough from what i've seen yeah. it just makes sense you know so okay yeah anyway so okay i've got another one for you yeah i think we gotta we, we gotta finish up bitcoin because we're talking a lot lately so I okay wanna, or i don't want to burn our, our, i don't want to give our audience bit burn uh, okay well i got a whole bunch more all right well i'll tell you what just go to justinvincent.com and you'll you'll read well if there's one if there's anyone that you really want to talk about talking about i'm just saying like let's not make okay a this one last, last one last one bitcoin is made for tax evasion um i i i think uh oh i think over time for it to be that this stuff is just going to get regulated and they're going to pay attention to it and people you know it's is it's, uh you know it's like i don't know i personally like to sleep at night I, said, right? I, I think most people most people don't want to take uh, take a chance of like you know oh the government has now been able to figure out you know the, the through the blockchain and you know guess what you owe us you know all these penalties and fees you may go to jail for that so I think a lot of people will figure like you know considering what the NSA has been able to figure out about what what's going on, on the internet I literally wrote that I, that's like that's what I wrote in the response and I said it's like saying cash was built for tax evasion right? Mm-hmm. Like people use cash, they pass it under the table, but you know, the, the bulk of cash in society goes through cash registers in shops and gets accounted for, you know, like there's not, there's, there's a small percentage of people who use cash for tax evasion, but not everyone. Yeah. And they, you know, there's always people who say it's like, well, the internet's for porn or the internet. Right. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Okay. So, right. It makes, makes, uh, it makes it easier for people to download porn. Okay, so well, always when these new technologies that have this kind of value come out, just you're saying that for porn, it's always the porn industry that capitalizes on it first. Anyway, like I'm sure the porn industry yeah, capitalize on Bitcoin just the same as they capitalize on the internet before anyone else. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so yeah, that's that's enough. That's probably enough. But but like I say, you got bit on the brain. Go to justinvincent.com and you'll see it there. Right. Justin um, bit Vincent. Right. What else we got? Um, <laughs> well, so. Um, I guess you probably got some links to bring up. Yeah, I, I mean, if I knew it was going to be Justin Link Day, I would have uh, just let you driven the whole. I wouldn't have taken all this time coming up my own links. <laughs> but um, so I want to talk a little bit about. Um, let's see what I'm going to first. So I'm doing a little math team. Oh yeah. So I told you. Uh, I told you. Uh, I talked about on the show about how Sandy and I are coaching the fourth grade math team mm-hmm. at McKinley. 
uh, which is uh, Colby School, or where well, our kids go to school. It's a K through uh, eight public school. And um, so all of a sudden, I started getting the mad genius Uh-oh. ideas about what might be possible. So I was um, I was looking at I think it was when I was flying up to. Uh, so I just you know I just went to San Francisco to work yeah. again, right? And so I when I was on the plane, I was re- I was looking through assessment tests for. Um, for, for the fourth grade, for fourth grade assessment, your common core assessment. Then I looked at the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and they were remarkably all the same. Oh, remarkably. Oh, I mean, wow. it's like, it's like each year is like 20% harder, 20% hmm. more content maybe, but it's, 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 it's not, it's not like, um, fourth grade, they didn't do fractions and now fifth grade, they do fractions or something. It's like, no, they do fractions. They actually do variables. They do simple statistics. They do simple probability. Just, it gets a little, you know, the problems get a little harder or whatever, mm. but it's not that much. And I was, and I was thinking, you know, it would be really cool if we could blow these kids through like next year. I said, I was, I was thinking, saying, I was like, I bet you we could get them through fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh grade math <laughs> in one year. I bet you could. Yeah. Okay. I know where you're going. Yeah. And I was thinking at first I was like, you know, what if we could just teach the math class? Like we just have a, we take these 17 kids mm-hmm. and you know, we talk, you know, we just say, look, we'll talk to the principal and say, look, they'll, they can place out of the test. We'll take these 17 kids and we'll get them through all the stuff in one year. And I, you know, I can, and I use like space repetition, you know, so that they don't forget the stuff they're learning. So we're constantly reinforcing everything they've done. So it's be mastery-based learning, which I've talked about the two sigma problems. So like you only move forward on things when when for, when individuals, in the individual kid or student masters it. Um, using really cool um, uh, science-based problems. So it's like I always find it frustrated when frustrating when they have a problem. They say, okay, so let's say that Annie has five apples and Harry has twelve apples, and they add their apples together and they give half to. To Joe, how many apples does Joe get? You're like, mm-hmm. who cares about the damn apples? Like, it's such a boring problem that it's hard to even think about. I'm like, why couldn't you do stuff about like, you know, astrophysics or or uh, you know, chemistry or game theory? Think like you could come up with cool problems, simple mm-hmm. but cool. It's like, okay, let's say that the nearest star is you know, this many light years away or this far away, this many miles away, our fastest spaceship goes this, how many years are you going to get there? Right, you know, so just could, make it more fun and interesting. Yeah, yeah, you could do, I was thinking like all these kind of cool problems, but then you could constantly be kind of adding science in as you're doing it, mm-hmm. right? We constantly be doing like, astro, you know, like uh, like sort of physics-based calculations or, um, you know, we could do like electric circuits, like, okay, well, here's a, here's a battery. And so is that part of your, um, you're thinking to do that as part of a, a project that you're building? No, no, this is, well, this is purely just, um, for the math team. Oh, so you're not building a piece of software to do this? No, no. I was just thinking of how we would, how we could make it really, really fun mm-hmm. and really effective. Because I was thinking, you know, because I was thinking, you know, I feel like we could teach these kids basic algebra without a problem. You know, it just doesn't seem like it would be. And if you can do simple algebra, then all of a sudden you can do all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was funny. I was I was looking. I was I was doing some Google searches on teaching algebra to kids or something because I was just like, how how young can kids? Can you teach kids algebra? Yeah, you know? and they were interviewing the guy, the um, the founder of Dragonbox, and one of the reasons was one of the, the questions that the interview asked was, well, why why teach it to kids, you know, this young? And he said, well, there's been first of all, there's been uh, academic studies that show that kids who are introduced to algebra earlier do much better in it later. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like if you've never even seen a variable or an equation, and all of a sudden you're like 14. 
And it's like, ta-da, equations. You're going from concrete numbers and you're just like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> Whereas you're kind of being gradually introduced to it over time and getting yeah. better. You, it's just easier. And that's kind of what Common Core does now. They definitely introduce them earlier to the stuff. But I was thinking like, so when we were sitting at Johnny Rockets today and, and I was kind of killing some time with Colby, I go, hey, Colby, remember we had the Dragon Box? Okay. So then I started doing the equations with him and I said, like, I'm making more and more hard, difficult equations. And at first he was a little rusty, but then he's like, oh, right. And, he, and then I said, all right, here's equation. 3y minus 5 equals 7x plus 2. Solve for y. You got it? I'm like, okay, cool. say you have, I said, all right, Colby, let's say you have $73. Mm-hmm. Because I said, how many much do you have for $73? Let's say you pay, let's say well, you, we pay you five dollars <laughs> per book you read. Okay, um, let's say you read, you know, uh, fifteen books. How much money do you have? Yeah. And then I go, okay, let's say there's something you want to buy. It costs two hundred dollars. How many? Given how much money you have now, how many books do you have to read? You know, nice. You know, until you end up. Well, because he's th- he's thinking, I, I want to actually do this. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, he was able to do it. You know, and we said that was like in you know ten minutes sitting at Johnny Rockets, right? Yeah. I mean, these kids can do this stuff, and uh, so. Anyway, I, I've I, I just been obsessed with this idea, and I've been trying to figure out like how do I hack the system to so that we can do this, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that the way we do it is before the end of the year we get them to place out of fifth grade math, you know, which I think we could do without too much work, and uh, you know before that I'll I'll talk to the to the principal and say, look, let's say I have these these kids as we're doing this math team stuff, we have them place out of fifth grade math. If that's the case, the next year, can can we just, you know, they can go to their math class, but they can just work on our problem sets that we're working on. But we're going to do 6th, 7th, and 8th grade math. Mm. And when you're doing algebra, and do all, you know, and I'll you know, pitch them on what I'm doing. We'll call it math team. Like, we're math team, right? Yeah. But, he's already, you know, these kids have already placed out of 5th grade math, so it's not like they're, you know, not learning this stuff, but, they're, but you're giving them a little extra time to do the stuff that we're doing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I'm trying to figure out what the best sort of hack is. Like, how do I hack this system so that the people in the bureaucracy can check the right box? Mm. And, and everybody feels like, oh, that's always going to be the hard yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Do, how do we do it and, and everything? But I think that might be a plan. I think it might work. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that's, we'll see how that goes over the next, um, I don't know, a few months. Because we're going to, the, the, the math field day competition is the end of March. Yeah. And uh, mostly we're going to focus on just doing really well at that competition. But... I'm just kind of thinking that, you know, by the end of the year, we might be able to just knock out the rest of fifth grade math since it's not that much beyond fourth grade. And these kids all know we'll be completely have mastered fourth grade math. That's awesome. That we might be able to do something cool. And I don't know. I just think that uh, if we moved really fast, that we could, I don't know, I think it'd be a lot more fun. And I think we could do something kind of special. So we'll see. Great. But on that topic, why don't we just uh, segue into Catalyst? Okay. So what's, what happened? No, you give me the. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, you were there? Happened? I you was were, there. You were there. Oh, I thought you were trying to say that I'd missed the session. No, no, I was there. Well, basically, it's it's just going very, very well because we've only got seven kids. We've got three adults uh-huh. and seven kids. So it's just really easy. In fact, it was going so well that I just didn't, like, I had to spend at least 10 to 15 minutes doing nothing. Right. Right. Because the kids were just working. Engaged. You know, working, engaged, doing what they needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was good. Um, so... We're moving on to games next, right? Yeah. Well, as soon as the kids finish up their challenges, and I think Liam and Colby are the only ones who finish their challenges. Mm-hmm. I think a couple other, a few kids are maybe one class away, and then a couple other kids are maybe two classes away. I mean, you know, Marco missed a couple classes, so he's like, he's got some stuff to catch up to do. But um, 
Well, that's probably another reason. Did Marco miss that last? Was Marco there last Tuesday? This past Tuesday, yes. Yeah. Oh, he was, okay. Yeah, well, I was wondering, was it because of the, you know, Marco not being there that it was... <laughs> no, I think, uh, yeah, no, he was, yeah, he was there. He was yeah, there. Okay. Yeah, just because he talks a lot or... <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think uh, it's it's nice. I mean, I've, the combination, of, like we've talked about before, the Wi-Fi being strong. We have good, solid Wi-Fi now with your mm-hmm. cradle point tech that you brought in. Um the fact that we're doing everything, we're not relying on custom built software, that they're building everything through the, you know, using, you know, Vim and SSH into their server and just writing HTML, CSS, that kind of stuff and JavaScript, that that, would, that stuff just works. Um, so we don't have, we don't have these failure points that we had before. And with fewer kids, now we can focus on them. And the kids that are there now are the kids who are the most advanced. So kids who are, who kind of get it more easily and are more into it. So all those reasons, it's just more fun, much less stressful, and much less work. Right, yeah. You it know? is really good. Yeah, so hopefully we'll see how we go. It'll be interesting to see how we go, how far we get. Um, you know, I, I got an email from uh, James Jensen. He's a uh, listener who I've talked to a couple times, and he's doing something similar, um, but they're focusing on hardware. They do like... Oh, right. Yeah, electronic stuff. Yeah, cool. So what, Raspberry Pi and... Um I th- the I, other one, Arduino? Arduino. I, I, I don't know which ones, uh, if they're working. I think they're doing, they might be doing some Arduino stuff, I think. Um, but they're doing a lot of their, I don't know, their own circuits and stuff, and breadboarding stuff. And um, and he, he'd emailed me, I guess, listen to the show, and said that he they were thinking about doing, or he wanted, at least for his kids, get them doing some programming because they were kind of interested in maybe a little change up or whatever. And, if I recall, I basically you know, said, you know, we're doing X, Y, and Z. I think it was because of a blog post I wrote about using real tools. Oh, um, not okay. using, you know, kind of cute little... That's how you guys connected. Toys. No, no, no. We had talked long before this, but he emailed me again. And, said, and I think he said something about the blog post and said, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing something similar or what mm-hmm. should we do? And I just said, look, dude, just use... Just like we're doing, just yeah. you and 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 sure enough. So he has his kids using Vim and SSH. You'd even get oh nice. And uh, he's just doing really well. He showed me a couple pages where his daughter and his son had played with some stuff. He built a, an animate library to make it a little more a little easier, so mm-hmm. that they didn't have to write as much infrastructure to get something up that did anything. But sure enough, you know, like sure enough, they you know, SSH into your server and use the command line, and I mean, they can do it. I mean, we see them do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. So basically, don't go, you don't, it doesn't have to be about the kiddie approach, the okay. kiddie drag and drop approach. It's like, look, they can, they want to see real stuff in the real world on websites. You know, that's what it really excites them. Yeah, real. They want their own web page. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, or something real. I mean, I guess it could be a mobile app or whatever. But I think um, I don't. Know. And then, of course, as we as we've said, it's more transferable. Like all mm-hmm. of a sudden, if you, you know, it's like if they get good enough of this stuff, like they are competent to build stuff on their own that do real things it's not just some of those sort of fake fake abstract skill that you can't really apply to anything i'm really interested to know what games our kids think of and move forward on and you know whether they're going to be something like platform or space or various you know angry bird type games i'm just really interested to know what are they thinking about and can we get them there yeah i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna try as much as possible to push them to simpler games like maybe memory or something um which I think one of our listeners might have suggested to me hmm. or 
maybe it was on the, a comment on the blog post, but memory is a but, perfect game to, to have, like, you just click on two cards, you try to remember which one's in the match. But, I mean, like don't that. they get really, like, like you've said it before, like, when a kid is really passionate about something, like, isn't that the thing, the path to take them down? You know, and let's say it is a platform game that they really want to do. Well, we can just build it up piece by piece, you know, just very go to the very basics of it. Yeah, yeah, no. So the, the, uh, I agreed. Um, I, I think that you you, you almost want to do it like when these um, graduate students go and they get a PhD advisor. Yeah. And the advisor tries to help them pick a problem. Well, you want to pick something that's interesting that to the students, but it's also solvable. Like, is this small enough problem mm. that you can get this done you can get this thing solved in two or three see, years yeah. and then write up stuff that you know because last thing you want to do is get on a problem that you just can't solve that it's okay. too big and then it's becomes very frustrating right so if they say we want to write you know doom you know doom like, 3d engine like, like, like no no <laughs> <laughs> but why don't we okay are you can even say look okay fine you want to create a 3d shooter okay for starters why don't we create a 2d shooter and when you say 2d shooter what does that mean? Let's create a little box where a guy can move around a little box and shoot this thing and we'll yeah. go in steps. Like, what is step one? When you write a program, it's always, you know, you think in terms of what are your first few steps. I like that approach, yeah. You know, it's like, look, whatever you want to do, we can try and do it. I would suggest starting with something simple. I said, you can either start with a simple game and then after you build an entire working game that's simple, we'll do a more complex game or we can, you can start off with a big game, but we're just going to do the very first small step. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide, do you just want to keep working on the same game and making it more and more complicated, more and more sophisticated? Or do you want to do a series of games that you say, I finished a game, it works, it's done uh, and it's very simple, but I'm going to do my next one. Sort of like determining what to build when you're bootstrapping. Right. <laughs> right. Can you build something that has a big vision, but can you actually stop early enough and then and release it? It's like Apic Knight versus uh, the, what, the one beginning with V that you were thinking of building. Vortex. Vortex, yeah. Yeah, Vortex yeah. is very small or yeah. whatever, you know, and right. But at the end of the day, I, you're, you know, to, to your point, I mean, you want them to be passionate about it, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and one of the problems with Vortex is... I just, um, there were other things. It wasn't that I, I wasn't passionate. I thought it was a cool idea, fun to build, you know, but that isn't enough to sustain me because there, and ultimately I'll hit upon an idea that I am a passionate, passionate about and it, and that sucks all my energy away. Right. Cause you're like, oh, well this thing could work or it could make money in this. But you know, if, 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 if you're not dreaming about it, if you're not waking up, like I can't wait to do this, it's, it's just going to lose out because there will be something that you feel that way about. Exactly. And um, there are other things that I feel that way about. And the one that I've been the most, the one that I have the madness about, the one that I'm most excited about, I guess, um, is uh, SnapLearn. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because it's so relevant to what we're doing with Catalyst and potentially the math team or whatever. It's education-based platform. And uh, I don't know. So, I, you know, I was working on it. Uh, I've been working on it off and on the past week or whatever and um the uh, one of the things i had to do is i had to write this really complicated set of queries or one set of or query or whatever and i had never actually written any stored procedures with mysql for huh. um and just because you know m the vast majority of this, the queries are relatively simple maybe there's a few joins or you know a, a sub select or two but it wasn't like 
you know, it wasn't like a two page query, right. You know, with temporary tables and all this kind of stuff that I've, I had one where I was like, there was just no way. And, and, and I initially was like, well, maybe I'll do it as a couple big queries, which I'll do it. And then I'll combine it and I'll do the rest in PHP, but they just turned into a mess, you know? And I'm like, you know, this is just ugly and it's just aesthetically very <laughs> distra- you know, uh, just aesthetically displeasing. Yeah. You're looking at it like, I, I, this should just be a query. So, um, I started working on it, and then I had uh, my buddy Phil, who's a, a SQL expert. What about the, the guy who just changed over tech? Like, he changed jobs? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, actually sent him. I said, check out this monster query. And he's okay. Like, yeah, and he was like, nice, you know. But uh, it was it was actually really interesting. It was interesting working with Phil, too, because he helped me for two hours on it yesterday. Because mm-hmm. I had gotten, like, two-thirds of it done, but then there was another hard third, and it was kind of just pulling it all together. And it was interesting working with someone who's a who's – a, SQL expert to, to, to how their mind works. Like, how do you put it together? So it's like, you know, and, and this is for anyone who's listening, who's a SQL expert, they'll probably be like, oh yeah, it's obvious. But the, w- when you're a programming, you tend to think procedure like step-by-step. Step. Well, what's the first ending? What's the second thing? Well, in SQL, since it's now reordered that way, you, you kind of, he's like, you build the, the inside query first. Yeah. Inside out. You do inside out. And then you go from there, like build it inside query, get that working. And then you do the containing query and then, you know, whatever. And it was kind of, uh, it was, it, it was helpful working with him and getting inside his debugging process, his thought process. Like, how do you, how do you do it? How do you debug it? Um, the way he would do it is you do the, well, you do, if you had a stored procedure, you'd say, well, write the inside query, and then you just kind of return that result set and see what it looks like, you know? And then once you got that working, you run the, the outer query or whatever. Or if you created a temporary table, then you just query the temporary table, print that out. So a couple of them, I had to create a couple of temporary tables because we're so big. And then um, it's such a complicated SQL. And then, you know, I mean, it was like two or three temporary tables and like, uh, a, uh, an update statement and a select and a bunch of stuff into insert statement. It was a big, it was, it was complicated. Um, but in the end it worked great. That's fantastic. And, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's always fun to learn something new and go to that kind of push yeah. myself to the next level. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a programmer who could muddle through the sequel. You know, I, I know the difference between a left join and a right join and a, you know, I can, I can do sub selects and I can do all this stuff, but you know, beyond that, you know, when you get really crazy stuff, like sometimes you go to Stack Overflow and you see people answer, answer, asking these SQL questions and you see the kind of answers come through. It's like, I would never know how to do that. Like, mm. I don't know. You know, it's just a whole nother level. Yeah. But you forget how, I, I used to forget how powerful SQL is because we spend all our time doing these kind of ORM, ORM type solutions, these very simple selects with just some sorts and some filters and sorts. And then it's like most of what you need, right? I don't, but I know. What do you do? I, I, well, I well, do. you don't use ORM. You write straight SQL. But. Yeah, basically, yeah. But the majority of them are simple slacks. I mean, they're yeah, simple. Yeah, that, that is definitely true. In fact, um, in some ways, using using the ORM, well, for example, Eloquent with Laravel, doing some of the larger queries. I mean, I, I showed it to you, I think, one time. I mean, they end up being massive with all, you know, just kind of chaining this, chaining this, chaining yeah, this. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah. like you're making... Uh, you're, they're making a moderately difficult SQL problem into extremely complicated right. SQL problem. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what was happening to me when I was trying to do some of it in PHP because I was I wasn't sure how to do it all in SQL. Yeah. But then it just became such a mess. I mean, I mean, SQL is such a powerful thing to know and be good at. I mean, I I read a blog post the other day, and and this is sort of reiterated something we talked about before, which is the and someone wrote an article called "SQL is Agile," which is that if you normalize all your data, you can 
change up how your application works very mm-hmm. easily, right? No, that's you true. change your queries. Yeah. But if you stick it all in, is you make everything a document, you make everything in a key value store, all of a sudden it makes it much more difficult to change because you're storing everything as a document. Like everything is sort of denormalized. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's usually very premature, like premature optimization. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, so maybe when you get to scale, you're going to use X, Y, and Z, um, you know, key value store database or something, but that's later in the game. You really got to make sure you're there and really at scale first. Mm-hmm. Because Postgres and MySQL can do massive scale on their own as long as you write do the right indexes, right? Exactly, yeah. So it's like, why jump the gun? But anyway, anyway, I just, it was fun to... Uh, well, that's to why we that. moved back. We moved from uh, cloud and back to MySQL. Right. So tell yeah. me a little bit about that. We never we talked about that. You and I have talked about that a lot of a line. I mean, you know, you can talk a little bit about that, right? Well, just that we had we had worked on um, the first approach that we had taken uh, to doing to dealing with stats and kind of storing stats was to use cloud and, and um, CouchDB. And then just the more that I got into it, the more that I realized it just was a bit. It just wasn't right. It it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to query. MapReduce stuff was difficult to build. It was just generally difficult, and it and also, it it just wasn't fast. You know, it wasn't fast. It wasn't, in, fast, right? wasn't fast at inserting. It wasn't fast at selecting, and um, you know, even on even se- sending emails to the cloud and guys, why is this taking so long? Their response was, "Oh, we're just not quite sure, but it's because you're on a shared host. You need to be on a, you need to be on a single host. You know, like a bare metal host, and that's going to cost you sixty thousand a year." And I'm just like. Well, holy crap! I mean, I'm just—I could do this in MySQL really easily. So I just—I just changed the whole thing to MySQL. Yeah. And how's that working? Great. Yeah. So it's yeah. performant. Yeah, it's perfect. Easy yeah. to run and yeah. easy to understand. Easy to understand and agile, like like you're saying. I mean, it's much easier to just—I mean, I can just create a query on the on the fly to query the stats in any way I want, and it's agile. Every, you know, everything's indexed. It's just super fast, easy. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, so I, you know, I think uh, SQL's kind of got a bad rap with all the NoSQL, mm-hmm. with the big NoSQL movement, and not that the NoSQL stuff is, can't be useful in the right instances, but yeah, I mean it's and um, it's amazingly, yeah, I would just say powerful and and agile and all those kind of words. But um, I, I that was really cool though doing the stored procedures. The pro- one of the problems though I noticed is that first of all, so I messed around with Snapler and I just set it up on a shared host. Yeah, you know. And so I'm using PHP my, my, PHP my, uh, my, my admin. Oh, right. Yeah. What a nightmare. That's such a piece of crap, you know? I mean, it's so slow and you have these little tiny query windows. I mean, it just feels stupid, right? But it's so, but then when I have these, when I have other stuff on, uh, other of my applications on VPSs, I just have tended to use the command line. But really, I need to use a decent, yeah, GUI tool. Just like, use the one from MySQL. We use the MySQL Workbench? Yeah. Do you, in MySQL Workbench, do they have stored procedures? You can look at all your stored procedures? I, I don't know. But there's there's another one called SQL Pro or something like that. I mean, there's a few of them that are pretty I cool. I looked at them. It's like, it's like funny. It's like none of them have – it doesn't seem like any of them have caught up to SQL Server's Enterprise Manager from like 1998. Right. It's amazing. Like I still look at it. I'm like, why – why doesn't it do these things? Like my SQL, I mean, this, we got Phil and I in our first company, we used SQL Server. Yeah. 6.5, and then we upgraded to 7.0, and it had this amazing 
enterprise manager with this great UI, which you had well, multiple query tabs, and you could have all your stored procs. And all your Microsoft Visual Studio was it called back in like not back in two thousand? Was very. Was, am I thinking about the right one? No. Well, enterprise manager. That's just the, this is just for the database. This isn't the Visual Studio. I mean, the, the whole Visual Studio IDE was amazing even back then. Like you could, you could like click on a thing and it would take you even to the JavaScript page. I yeah. mean, it would. It was all very integrated. Yeah, yeah, it's still amazing how bad it's like the tools, like the programming tools have just not moved forward. They're not, they're not nearly as good as the stuff that I used to write C in 1995. But in some ways, it's because people are more into just being in text editors now, like Sublime, just keeping it real simple, you know? Yeah, which sucks because so a lot of things like, you know, whether it's PHP or Node or whatever, you, you, you don't have an integrated debugger. Yeah, it's not easy to debug. I mean, they, they, they probably do which have. Which is terrible. I mean, I mean, they do, but it just requires a a, a a a boatload of effort to set it all up and integrate it. And it's I've tried that a couple of times. I've never gotten it working with either PHP. I remember tried a PHP back in the day. I tried it, and I never could get anything really working. That's why I don't it. bother using debuggers. Just trace everything. Yeah, what you know, which will work, but it's incredibly inefficient. If you can just put a breakpoint, you could see the whole stack and the call stack and the watch variables and local variables. And that's why what I do is when I'm writing anything that's complicated node that isn't like obviously going to work, I will uh, write that code on the client side mm. and debug it using the Chrome developer. And then once I'm sure it all works perfectly and I understand it, then I'll just, you know, push over to the server side. Yeah, I still find that just, I just find that laborious. You just don't know how to use a debugger. No, I totally know how to use a debugger. I just find it laborious. Like, I, like, it's, laborious? It, you write, you'd rather write a trace statement with a variable, rather than to put a breakpoint, no, it's like, breakpoint it's and like go? I already told you. I test every line, line by line. So it's like, what's the point in a debugger when I'm just testing? I'm going to write one line of code, then I'm going to trace it and just get what that what the well, output. Why line. don't why why wouldn't you just like write your five or ten lines and then put a breakpoint at the beginning and then step through it? It'd be ten times faster. Well, if that was true, then I wouldn't be such a fast developer. You would be faster. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe who knows? The hell, you would. I, you write ten lines. I don't want to write 10 lines. I so want to write one you're being, line. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're an old dog. Maybe. You're stuck in your ways because you, you grew up without having the debugger tools and you're not comfortable using the debugger. That's why like you're telling the kids to, to print stuff out and I have them using the debugger and I'm like, well, what are you doing? It's just so much faster my it's way. It's not. It's slower. It is. You have to literally stop, write console.log this plus this plus this and then you have to rerun the program. Literally, all I have, you don't have to write type anything. Just put click, breakpoint, run. There, step through. Look at whatever variables you want to look at. Yeah, but it just takes so much longer to step through. You've got to look at all that hit other a button? stuff. You hit a button, it takes longer to hit a button. No, because there's going to be like 10 lines of code that you're stepping through versus just getting one trace statement. It's slower. You still know it is, because you, you have to write a console line for every single statement. Every time you want to trace something out, you have to, write, you have to literally write a line of code for, to trace out where all I have to do is hit next. We should have Next. a we should have a code off sometime. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just logical. It doesn't make any sense to like, have to like write everything out. You know. Well, I mean, if that was the case, then I'd be really, you know, I'd be a really slow developer and wouldn't get anything out the door. No, that's not logical. That's the same way you're making isn't logical. Just because it, it just because you're fast enough doesn't mean you wouldn't be faster if you were using a debugger. Yes. Maybe, maybe. You're just you're just an old dog, man. Could be. You got to move with the times. This happened in like 1980. All right. Well. <laughs> Anyway, interesting. That's an interesting discussion. <laughs> All right. Okay. Your look, feelings we, hurt. We, no, 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 you didn't. That's not, that's fine. Um, we should probably wrap this up soon. Um, cause you know, the, we have been here for a few hours and okay. I know the half of it was because we were, someone bought some furniture 
from uh, us, and we had to wait for them to move it through All right, well, then I'm just going to blow through a couple things. Yeah. There, so, oh, um, Glenn Bennett, when we did his um, La Critique last week, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, well, the only thing is his his feed, podcast feed validator should have caught our bad image and flagged it and said, this, this image sucks, guys. And so when uh, he said, hey, I, I implemented your suggestion, I wasn't sure what he's talking about. And so I put our feedback into his validator and hit go. And it came up with, it showed an error on the picture. It says like, you know, validation error, like, you know, bad picture. Picture sucks, yeah. Picture, it showed his, it, he, he created a brand new picture of us, <laughs> which was like much cooler. That's funny. We should actually maybe consider using that. Yeah, it was, okay. It was good. I thought it was really clever. So thanks for that, uh, Glenn. Um, so my buddy Jack, I told, I talked about the show or two ago about how he's moving to text, teaching himself SQL and yeah. stuff. And so now he's moving where he's teaching himself Linux, basic Linux stuff. And um, he's learning, um, he started learning HTML and getting a website up for the first time on his VPS and everything like that. Because I was telling him, look, I mean, knowing SQL is really, really powerful, but you kind of need to know at least a little bit of the... You need, yeah, you need the context. You need some context. You yeah. can just like, you know, oh, I can write SQL, but everything has to be set up for me first and I have to sit in this little sandbox. It's going to make yeah. you much less useful to people than if you can set up your own server, you can pull data in, you can actually have a way of displaying it if you need to, you can do all the SQL stuff. So, you know, he... he you know, gave me an update and showed me everything he's doing. And he's also showed me this. Uh, I, well, I'd sent him an email about a, uh, I think it's a Coursera course mm-hmm. on introduction to databases where they really go through all the deep theory and everything yeah. like that. So he's going to do that, which I thought was cool. And I was like, you know, what? I was like, keep a track of your progress, Jack. It's like, I feel like I'm watching a reality show. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to, I like waiting for the next episode. Like, where does it get, you know, this like, is like the biggest, like loser. flip this house, you know, yeah. or the biggest loser, you know, you'd like, got to check in and see what the progress is. And uh, I was like, you know, we should create a, a reality show called Geek Up, you know, <laughs> so people are trying to, you know, upgrade their life or whatever by moving into tech and like teaching themselves. And well, anyway, right now we just have one participant in Geek Up, but and no camera following him. No around. camera following him. I just get the email updates, but it's it's funny. I'm like, I can't wait to hear what he's done next. You know, right? Well, and the listeners as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully. So I, I've been advi- I've been suggesting that like he start teaching himself. Um, well. First, because he, he, he wanted to do some minimal web development so that he could create web forms to take data into the database and mm-hmm. also show data out. And I said, I think I'd just start with basic PHP and HTML. There's a million and one simple tutorials. You don't have to deal with any frameworks. You can just go to the simplest possible thing. And, you know, and, and, I, and I did a Google search and the first thing I saw, like, 50 PHP form tutorials. Yeah, right. Perfect. And I was like, you can always upgrade to doing frameworks and stuff. So like, get PHP and, and understand the basics. Understand the basics, and then it's like after that, I said, you know, we want to learn uh, Python for server side stuff. If you're especially if you're doing data data driven stuff, and Python is an easy language, but it also has that kind of cachet. Like if you know Python and you're doing data, I mean, it's kind of yeah, as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, Superbugs were found breeding in sewage plants in China. And I think in India as well. You ever read about that? No. So these anti antibiotic resistant, um, hmm. you know, bugs. So it's a, uh, it says two wastewater treatment plants in China fail to kill antibiotic resistant bacteria, um, and it says the um, they found NDM one, a multi drug resistant gene, first identified in India in 2010, in wastewater disinfected by chlorination. Chlorination didn't work. So they found significant levels of NDM one in the effluent released to the environment that and even higher levels in dewatered sludge applied to soils. So effluent is like the, the treated sewage that's then released back out to rivers and oceans and stuff. So it's in it hadn't been killed. 
And they said that really, um, I think it says NB- NDM1 is able to make such common bacteria as E. coli, salmonella, and uh, K. pneumonias resistant to even the strongest available antibiotics. So they can transfer the gene to these other bacteria, which is bad news too. And the only way to detect if you've got it is if you come in for like, you know, these bacterial infections or whatever, and another bacteria, another antibiotics work. Then <laughs> they're like, you're screwed. <laughs> so some Swedish guy was in India, caught it, and it was kind of big trouble. Well, I won't be going to India anytime soon. <laughs> they said the only way that they're talking, well, this is China too. And they said the, um, the, the, the next, the idea that they have is to maybe use um, ultraviolet disinfection. That these that these really short wavelength light actually has a able to kill these bugs, but the chlor- chlorination and other things aren't working. Wow, it's kind of crazy. I still remember. Uh, Why does ultraviolet get them? I guess it's just the right frequency that just like blows them up or whatever. No, I don't know the right energy level. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works. Speaking of scary stuff, you read about crypto lockers, crime wave. No. So crypto locker is this virus that gets it. It's being sent. Uh, through um, email attachments, and if you, it's like a PDF. It's like a in a zip file or something. And two hundred fifty thousand people have been victims of it. And what it does, it's ransomware. So it takes and encrypts all the files in your hard drive, and it gives you seventy two hours. And then I think it either will refuse to decrypt them after that or delete them. How do you pay? Uh, they have Bitcoin addresses. <laughs> <laughs> so they they think they've collected. Oh my god! I think it was. I, 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 there's estimates between thirty and forty million in the last three months alone. Isn't that scary? So you got to be really okay. careful if you download. But I think it's all Windows machines because it's in the EXE or whatever. That is a ter- that is a really bad. Th- I mean, isn't that amazing? That's that's a fud that for Bitcoin that they should have said. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, like well. Well, they always talk about criminal stuff, like when you can't yeah. track currencies. But I don't know, man. Two hundred fifty thousand people already infected, and uh, you know they're and actually windows. the guy, the guys they're in, they're in Russia or Eastern Europe or whatever. The crypt, the crypto locker guys, and they're actually very helpful for you paying. Like, oh, we'll help you. Sometimes we we'll give you a little more time to decrypt you another day, or they'll give you a couple of weeks to get your money through. They're, they're it's like customer service for <laughs> like a backup service or something. Oh my lord! Isn't that amazing. That is incredible. That is really screwed up. Yeah. Nice find though. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, thanks. I thought that you thought you'd like that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on some NSA stuff real quick. I'm gonna go through these titles. All right. Okay. So I'm just gonna read the title. I'm gonna read the highlights of this. So NSA program stopped no terror attacks. Says White House panel member. No. Remember how initially they said 54, and they said, well, maybe a dozen, but then maybe two, one or two. Zero. No terror attacks. Okay. Uh, NSA phone surveillance program, and that's in the NBC News. NSA phone surveillance program likely unconstitutional federal judge rules. So drag, Dragnet likely in breach of Fourth Amendment. Judge describes scope of a program as Orwellian. And the ruling relates to collection of Americans' metadata. How could they have stopped nothing? Nothing. But because I mean, it's, cause it doesn't work. There's too much information. I mean, they, they must have stopped something. Nothing. <laughs> they, they would be playing it up if they did. They, they stopped nothing. Whenever they're they nothing. They've wow. stopped nothing. It's the biggest waste of money. Uh, well, there are a pretty big wastes in there, but this is probably the biggest, most unconstitutional waste of money in the country's history. <coughs> wow. White House tries to prevent judge from ruling on surveillance efforts. So there were two, uh, that, that particular ruling, uh, now the White House is, is filing these briefings trying to say, well, it's 
going to give away state secrets and all this bullshit, even though obviously everybody's all the stuff's out in public. Just because it's out in public doesn't mean it's not so classified, but everybody already knows it. Yeah. So, um, so Clapper, remember the guy who lied to Congress and said, I tried to say the least untruthful thing, like uh, <laughs> director of national intelligence. He's like, you know, trying to, they're trying to prevent the, these rulings from taking place. So the, they are intervening in the courts or attempting to. Um, so next, a, uh, that this is kind of interesting. Um, an NSA coworker remembers the real Edward Stone, a genius among geniuses. Oh, really? Yeah. He said, you know, they can't try to portray him as like this dumb, is this like college dropout and just kind of a technician or whatever. And, and, and here's one little quote. The guy says, the kid was a genius among geniuses, says the NSA staffer. NSA is full of smart people, but anybody who sat in a meeting with Ed will tell you he was in a class of his own. I, I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. He also said that he was like incredibly like uh, principled. Like he was standing, he almost got fired because he stood up for a colleague who was being disciplined. And the, and the reason that he got access to machines is because he was so good and doing so much that people would give him their stuff to help out, like a manager where he cover for a manager or stuff like that. It's interesting. So he was, you know, this very principled genius. Which is what, which is what he basically yes. seems to be. Yeah. Across, it's just obviously the government tried to portray him as, mm. you know, something else. Um, interesting. Um, you, I don't know if you read this. And so that was in uh, Forbes. The other two was in New York Times, The Guardian, NBC. Okay. This one is in Reuters. Exclusive secret contract tied NSA and security. Oh, the RSA pay, paying $10 million? Yes, to so the NSA allegedly approached um, RSA with an offer to, for ten million dollars to make Dual EC its default random number generator in the uh, BC uh, B Safe library, despite it being relatively new and very slow. And the idea being that um, they had, like, uh, I guess, the idea that the, the NSA potentially had a way that that they had a backdoor, right? Yeah, it allowed them to effectively backdoor because of the, but um, the NSA came up with a response which was pretty funny I and mean, it was sort of like a, a non-response response like they came up with this like refuted it but they didn't refute any of the actual claims <laughs> it was like it was like this real like it was like the perfect like um legal legalese pr um but someone double speak that you'd expect like yeah there was a great uh takedown of it on hn today on hacker news yeah or something oh, this is the one that was in, on github. one on github yeah that's that what i mean great yeah. yeah i read that one too um i'll put a link to it um that's amazing. So, and and one more on the whole uh, in the whole NSA surveillance thing, um, acoustic cryptoanalysis. This was on uh, um, Schneier's uh, library. What's his name? Um, Bruce Schneier, mm -hmm. the cryptographer. He says he he basically linked to the there was a paper on this, and it was basically how um, you could put a uh, a mobile phone next to a computer and a microphone, and that you could pull out its uh, its keys using just acoustic analysis just microphone hmm. or even put a sensitive microphone up to four meters away. It says the attacks can extract full four zero nine six bit RSA decryption keys from laptop computers of various models within an hour using the sound generated by the computer during the decryption of some chosen ciphertext. We experimentally demonstrate that such attacks can be carried out using either a plain mobile phone placed next to the computer or a more sensitive microphone placed four meters away. How? What? Well, well, it's listening to the sound of just digital stuff happening in the computer? Apparently. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with like, all this NSA stuff and all the way, it's just unbelievable how wide open everything is. Jeez. Everything, like anybody, it's like any sufficiently sophisticated. Is that, is that an April Fool? No. 
Jeepers. Isn't that amazing? I was, that was impressive. And that was impressive. So, uh, oh, and also on the hey, there was this big uh, 60 Minutes report on the NSA, which was like a total whitewash job by this guy, John Miller. And uh, he used to work for the NSA at some point. Well, um, he's actually says, um, it was, it was this big softball story. So now, like the two days later, he's expected to land a top intelligence or counterterrorism role, counterterrorism role at the NYPD. So he's like this total surveillance state, <laughs> you know, propagandist insider. And, uh, you know, The Verge and The Nation came out were just like, give me a break. Like anybody who has any interest in this stuff was just freaking out on the Twitter. Like what a, what a ridiculous story. It was total one-sided. I mean, they didn't have Greenwald or any of these other um, critics say, you know, this is utter mm. bullshit. And um, so they, like, the one in the nation was the sad decline of 60 minutes continues with this week's NSA whitewash. And then right, the right. says, don't be fooled by the 60 minutes report in the NSA. So I did a little uh, research on this because I was like figuring like how many people watch, you know, the, uh, you know, in, in the news these days. Well, I mean, how many people watch the news? You yes. mean all 60 minutes? Well, 60 minutes actually is big. I think it has like millions of viewers, but um ac360 which is uh i think um what's his face is uh oh god what's the um what's the guy with the gray hair uh, anderson cooper yeah ac360 he had a recent low with two hundred and fifty-five thousand total viewers with just fifty thousand in the 25 to 54 demo Two hundred fifty thousand viewers this is like a cable channel i mean like a like a <laughs> local asset access game or something. Right, but what, what's your point there about that? Well, I'm just showing that people aren't even watching these things anymore. These shows that yeah. are like kind of, because these, main, these mainstream shows are very sort of, I would say probably they're statist in nature, very status quo status. They but don't it, challenge the government. And so you get kind of frustrated by like, they're, they're just talking bullshit. Nobody's even t- telling the truth or challenging anyone in government. But it's like, and part of it, as a result- They're not even watching it. Nobody's even watching these things anymore. Yeah. So, it, so in one sense, it's like they keep leaking- um, viewers, because I think viewers are like more over time with even thinking about. It, they're like, this is just. I'm listening. I'm watching a brochure, you know. And the second, but you think if they got real controversial and said, you know, the government and like I RSA, think I think if the, if they be, if there was legitimate uh, investigative adversarial journalism, I think people would watch it. But well, they they don't get that, and so I think people are just like whatever. And and the younger people, in particular, are just like I'm not getting anything other than just talking points. Where the, where the government's talking points. Okay, so those are the government's talking points. Great. Um, Piers Morgan Live at 9 p.m. had its second worst result with, uh, of the year with 252,000 total viewers. In contrast, The Walking Dead is averaging nearly 20 million viewers per episode. Wow. And not only that, The Talking Dead, you know the talk show that comes on <laughs> yeah. after it? It has yeah. 5 million viewers. <laughs> 5 million viewers. That's more than most <laughs> shows. That's crazy. So 20 times the amount of viewers as AC360 are watching the talk show, the Walking Dead, the talk show that talks about another cable show. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, cable, cable is kind of eating eating everyone's lunch right now. It's really, really moving forward. You know that um, Amazon have their own show as well. Did you see that Alpha House? I haven't. What is it? It's, it's, it's uh, starring John Goodman. And basically, it's made by Amazon for Amazon. Is it so, good? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it about? it's funny. It's like it's like House of Cards, except and, and I, I mean, it's a lot like House of Cards, mm-hmm. except funny. It's like a it's like a comedic take on House of Cards. Huh. Isn't it really funny that they would they would basically have a very very similar show for for Netflix only and for Amazon only? <laughs> they will just do the fun, we'll do the Daily Show version. We'll yeah, this. so basically, with Alpha House, it's like 
all these senators, they're away from home. So they all kind of stay in there in one house together. And it's basically like a frat house for old guys. Right, right. <laughs> so that's why it's funny, you know. That is really, that is really cool. I'm going to check that out, Alphas. So, yeah, Alpha um, house, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were talking about how a lot of these other shows like on and cable and I, I didn't write the numbers, but, um, you know, like, what was it called? Um, the mentalist and others. Those are pretty big shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. They have like 2 million, two or 3 million. million. It was yeah. talking about like, you could fit, you know, eight mentalists and into one, you know, walking, walking dead. dead or you could fit, you know, they were like going to all these other shows and like, what about this show? And like all these other big shows. Nope. Nope. You get it four of those, two of these and three of these and one. Walking it's dead. so funny. You should see Andrew Lincoln in some of his earlier stuff in, in the UK, in the BBC. You just would not think that he was going to end up in this place. Yeah. But uh, no, it's really funny. It's good. It's amazing. You still haven't watched it, right? No, I, I haven't gotten into it yet. Okay. All right. You're still, you're going to try. You're going to give it a shot, right? I'll give it a shot. All oh. right. So, um, and uh, the one last thing I wanted to hit on, which was the, um, remember we talked about how uh, at Treehouse they were getting rid of managers and you were like, how could they possibly run a company without managers? Right, right. And they did a follow up on, on it. And they basically, what they did um, is anyone could create a project. And they go on and they create a description of it. And is it, you know, what category of the business is applied to? And then um, they try and recruit other people. Other people can sign up for it. Say, I'm in on that, right? And if they get other people in on it, then they can do it. And they have this sort of like, you know, this sort of internal software, this sort of um, web software that allows them to track what's going on. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you could say, oh, I want to like, if you're doing for digital, like, I want to create this new stats thing like this. And it's like, you know, if everybody was like, nobody was interested. (laughs) Like you couldn't recruit any designers or developers or anybody, then you can't really get it off the ground. That would be pretty tough, though. I mean, it'd be tough to. I mean, that's interesting that they're doing that, but I, I think it would be tough to run a company that way. Well, if, if you had customer deadlines to meet, you know, if if you if people were going out and say if salesmen were going out on sales calls, selling a product, and it was based on the fact of what the developers actually wanted to work on or not, right? it would be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, well. It would be pretty scary. Well, well so, so Ryan Carson and his co-founder lay out the vision. Like, these are the things that we're, we need to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And based on that vision, based on this, like, where we need to go over the next quarter or whatever, then people can create projects to try and realize that vision, right? So okay. it's not just, like, what people work on, but it's like, you know, it's like if you and Matt were like, okay, this is what we want to try and do and whatever, and, and then people can kind of, work on things they're most excited about, recruit their team, get people working on them. And you could see, you know, when people have a choice of what they want to work on, people tend to be a little more motivated, a little more excited, a lot less manager. And then and then the the tool they use, they have to, everybody has to do a daily update of what they've accomplished. At the end, they have to do a post-mortem. And then the team is, of course, responsible for, for managing and supporting it, whatever they create. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, no, to answer your question. It is, it like is interesting. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'll put a link for that. So, I mean, yeah, okay. I don't think that works for a company your size. Right. You know, but I think, you know, if you had 20 or 30 developers and, mm. you know, stuff like that, and you get to that bigger size where it's like, okay, now we have, you know, you know, what are five teams or six teams? And it's like, okay, maybe you could do it without that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could, I could see that working at Uber. Yeah. I mean, they have like a hundred developers now. I mean, I could see you could, I could see you could probably work that out, you know? Yep. I mean, they're pretty flat anyway. And, and, and people are pretty. Unless everyone wants to work on the same thing. Well, I mean, whoever is, says they, says, whoever creates the project, say, I need three people, I need a designer, developer, whatever, and then and I guess they could presumably can choose if more than one person signs up and say, okay, well, so-and-so signed up first and we're going to go with this group. Yeah, it sounds very good. Yeah, that was cool. So, um, yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for me. I'll, uh, I'll let you get on with your life. I'll, I'll try. Well, if I get this edited up uh, for tomorrow, would you think we'll get this out before Christmas or no? I can get it out if you can get it to me tomorrow. Really? Yeah, don't wait till tomorrow night. I need an earlier. I'll try and get. Day. I'll try and get it done sometime. You know, as early as I can tomorrow. Would you get it to me like by lunchtime. Yeah. Okay. I'll I try. Can probably get it. I'll done give it a very tomorrow. good try. Yeah. I can It'll make be nice. That we'll have this under the tree for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and so happy holidays to everyone listening to the show. And Merry Christmas. Merry no, said, well, I, just, I, I just read a thing in the Britain that the people said Merry Christmas in, in England. Well, I was saying Happy Holidays because you don't know if they're Jewish. Well, that's or the thing. What in England, they say don't worry about it because, yeah. because it's, it's, it's uh, decoupled from being a religious thing. It's, it's just true. a it's secular true. holiday. And that's it's how true. I view it. I mean, I'm not religious Christmas. at all, right? And it's just Christmas is just like a Santa Claus and Christmas trees and eggnog. and. I always mix know. it with a birthday, so I say Happy Christmas. Well, is that a Merry say, Christmas? That's, well, that's what they say in English. Sometimes they say Happy Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So, all right. This all right. Is, so, Merry Christmas. This is our Merry Christmas show, right? Well, next week we'll have our New Year's show, right? Yeah. But we'll have to, like, predict for the following year. All right. Right? Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. Mercy! What do you want for Christmas? I want a bike. You want a bike? And what else? A Barbie doll. A Barbie doll? Little Willie, what do you want, fella? Nothing. Okay. Man, well, what do you want? I want to rule the world and have all the games and have all the money. Woo! That sounds great. Yeah, what do you want? I want a big, big, big bite, a two-wheeler bike. Close your eyes and fantasize. The Buddha calls is just a rhyme. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh.
Merry little Christmas. You know what? I still got a little left into another one, man. Uh, as best I can, you know?